Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Brownie Points. I'm Dan. I'm Nick. And this is the podcast where a guy with a film degree. And a guy who knows how to work a DVD player. Talk to you about movies. First, in lieu of a Brownie Bite segment, Nick and I finally watched all seven parts of the Netflix docuseries that has taken the country by storm, Tiger King. And then after that, my pick for the time machine of our two trips was to 2002 to watch Tom Cruise run in Minority Report. Run! (laughs) We also watched Predator 2, and it was alright. All of that on this week's episode of Brownie Points. Alright, all you cool cats and kittens, welcome to the show. We like to start off the show, as longtime listeners know, with a segment that we call Brownie Bites. This is the segment where we talk about something that happened in the news, or a new trailer that dropped, uh, things like that related to the film industry, but obviously the industry is shut down due to COVID-19, so... We have decided, (laughs) so we have decided that this week's Brownie Bite segment is going to be dedicated to the show that... Animals that literally bite chunks out of human beings. Yeah. (laughs) Like Carol Baskin's husband. (laughs) We've decided to dedicate Brownie Bites this week to the Netflix docuseries that everybody has been talking about for all of March, bleeding into April, Tiger King... Madness. Are you saying bleeding because of tigers that bite people? <laughs> sure. Uh, tiger King. Like Carol Baskin's husband. <laughs> tiger King, Madness, Mayhem, and Murder. That is what we're going to be spending our Brenny Bite segment talking about this week. It is a seven-part docuseries that, um, full disclosure, Inside Baseball. Uh, I watched this two weeks ago, and I wholly intended to only watch maybe one or two episodes and kind of span it out. I watched it all in one sitting. I, I Same, same, except I saw it Sunday. Yeah, you watched and it. And it's now, it's now Thursday. Yeah, you watched it all, uh, more recently than I did, but I just, I had a day off of work and I, <laughs> it, or no, it wasn't a day off work. I, I took a half day and I, I watched 2012, our movie that we reviewed last week. Uh, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. But um, <laughs> after I finished 2012, uh, it was 3 o'clock, and I'm like, okay, what am I going to watch? Uh, let's watch Tiger King. And I spent <laughs> I spent 3 o'clock to 9 o'clock watching all of Tiger King in one sitting. Uh, Nick, I'm guessing you did relatively the same thing? Uh, yeah, I think we paused it for some reason for, like, 20 30 minutes i don't remember why but we watched the entire thing pretty much straight through yeah it's it's a wholly bingeable thing it's basically like a seven hour movie i mean i mean it's in terms of watchability it's like that but it is broken up episodically it definitely dedicates one episode to a specific thing or a specific character it is a series technically so we are going kind of outside of what we usually do because we don't talk typically talk about TV shows, um, but unless it's Aaron Hernandez murdering people, yeah, which coincidentally was another crime 
uh, docuseries. But, uh, but yeah, we just, we had to jump on the Tiger King boat. Uh, we have to talk about this. We've both watched it finally. Sorry for being, uh, kind of late to the party. Hashtag late to the party. But, uh, but yeah, dude, Tiger King. But we were social distancing. Yeah, <laughs> we were social distancing you know, ourselves the, from the group. The crowd, the crowd was talking about it last week. We wanted to wait and make sure that there was enough room between us and the people that were already talking about it. So we waited a week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I guess uh, kind of how we do our normal reviews. Um, I'll give my uh, my spoiler-free hot take before we dive really into the show. I I'm like the general populace. I absolutely was in love with this show. I was so hooked, so engrossed. There are so many different and unique characters is a loose way to kind of put it when it comes to a documentary, but there's so many different people that are just beyond fascinating to just listen to them either have direct or indirect relationships with uh, Joe Exotic, um, the way that each episode kind of dedicates itself to like either how it directly involved Joe Exotic or just, like, they happen to be an associate and then you get to know how weird they are. Just, like, it it, it finds this great balance between, like, the world of just big cat people and just, like, the kind of way that it presents just, like, oh, here's a whole counterculture of just, like, big cat people and these specific people, I just want to say. I'm not saying all cat people are weird because I'm a cat owner i have two cats of my own but i mean they're not tigers but (laughs) it's just like here's these other people that are kind of like joe exotic but they didn't pay somebody to attempt to murder somebody um and then it ties back in and they didn't run for governor or and and president yeah and president um (laughs) and then the way it ties back to joe and just joe himself is just like this otherworldly just like there's a saying in the industry where real life is stranger than fiction. And this is the epitome of that. And that is what's so fascinating about this. I I've texted you and multiple people. I can't fathom a writer's room that could make this up. I cannot imagine anybody making up like purely from scratch, the story of Joe exotic, tiger King, Carol Baskins, and all these other people that are involved. His, his two husbands, the the guy that was an animal trainer for, like, TV, but now he's got a sex cult. Like, dude, I was just so hooked, and I was so engrossed. And, like, by the time it finally got to the last episode, when it was actually about the crime, and it then turned into, like, your kind of typical... Uh, I will say, I did forget for a while that this was about a guy that was convicted of uh, hiring a hitman. Like, it got to the end, I was like, oh yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, by the time it got to that, like, I was already just like, all right. It's like, all right, dude, let's figure out how this story finally ties up. And it's not even how it ties up. Like, uh, as we're taping this, uh, uh, Discovery Channel is going to do a Carol Baskin's husband murder docuseries. Uh, Netflix is releasing uh, not a bonus episode of the show. I want to make that very, very clear. It is not a bonus episode of Tiger King. It is Joel McHale of The Soup and Community doing a kind of Talking Dead uh, just after show. So uh, we're probably both going to watch that. Uh, Well, it's yet to be addressed if we're going to talk about it yet, but um, that's been announced. We're too busy. What? We're too busy. We don't have an abundance of free time right now. Yeah. 
But um, but anyway, no. Uh, just to, to to finish my little rant, I just, dude, I was so hooked on Tiger King. The fact that I ended up watching all seven episodes in one sitting alone should just be a big thing for listeners that uh, that are familiar with my taste in uh, consuming media. I just, I loved Tiger King. On our scale, it is a full brownie pan with sprinkles. Uh, that's a borderline, uh, if not outright, contender for best of the year a pretty good overall has some flaws is a full pan of brownies a so-so whatever 50 50 is a half pan of brownies a pretty bad movie overall maybe one or two good qualities is a single brownie and a contender for worst of the year is a movie so bad that you don't even get a brownie you get a cookie full of raisins uh like i said full pan of brownies with sprinkles and all the fixings on top of it i loved the crap out of tiger king i i would love to watch it again It's okay. Um, <laughs> I watch, I watch a lot more uh, crime documentaries than you do. And yeah, if listeners don't know, Nick, thing- it, this is your forte. Like, I just watch movies in general. You like crime, anything? Period. I, I like finding out about the horrible depths humanity can go. Did um, you watch Making a Murderer? And- by the way. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to make sure because that was the last thing that Netflix one, like the one the one that I've been watching a lot lately is the Trials of Gabriel Fernandez. Um, I like that one. Um, I started the Staircase, but I never finished it. Um, oh, did you watch? Uh, did you watch I, Wormwood? No, I've been meaning to, but no. Okay, um, and you don't have HBO, so you haven't watched uh, the Jinx, right? I have not watched The Jinx, and I have not watched McMillions either. Okay, I I haven't finished McMillions. I haven't finished one that I will one that I will recommend. Um, the Pharmacist, very good. Oh, very very good. I watched that entire series in a day. Nice. I I just I I actually <laughs> some of these titles I just pulled up I, from a video I just watched earlier, but um, uh, but yeah, I I haven't finished McMillions yet, uh, but I did watch The Jinx in its entirety, and the the Jinx. Between the Jinx and now with Tiger King, there's nothing remotely crime film related that I have been engrossed in as much as I was with the Jinx or Tiger King. I'm just throwing that out there. You should definitely well, watch that. Tiger, the the thing that I the reason I think Tiger King really took off is the memeability of it, um, because my main problem with with the series. It, it it clearly started off about something vastly different. Well, yeah, it was. And it, it says it right up front that it was about like what those under the the, the underground reptile uh, trade. Yeah, it it initially is going to start off about a rep, the reptile trade. Then like the first five minutes are like this guy's like I got a Siberian tiger in the back of my van in Florida, <laughs> and that's kind of the strap yourself in moment. But um, it like. It's clearly, they clearly started out trying to do something different and then started, obviously started documenting something vastly different. Um, And I don't think they really knew what to gather or what storyline to kind of go with. And it, it feels kind of cobbled and put together, not like terribly bad. I mean, it's not horrendous. I'm giving it a half pan, but it, it very clearly is they didn't know what to go with. And so they kind of just were like, 
We got so much weird crap we found in Oklahoma and Florida and Myrtle Beach and Indiana and Kentucky. Like, they just, like, threw it all in. They're like, oh, no, here, take it. But this show is so memeable, so unbelievably memeable that that, to me, is why I think it took off because it goes through uh, – after the first two episodes, it hits a very big lull for me um, where – the first two episodes, you're getting used to, all right, what is it setting up the show to be? And once you get used to that setup, it kind of just holds it. It doesn't it doesn't raise the stakes or anything like that. It holds it. And then it just holds it for too long. And then, like, the enjoyment of the show really roller coasters for me, where it just skyrockets and plummets and skyrockets and plummets and skyrockets and plummets and skyrockets and plummets. It just goes, it goes up and then it comes back normal and goes right back up. Um, it, it's enjoyable and the memes are funny, but there's like uh, a couple episodes where it felt like they needed to trim fat, but they really didn't know what angle to go with. So they kind of just like, it, it starts off about the reptiles, and then it feels like it's going to be about Joe Exotic, and then it's going to be about Joe Exotic and Carol Baskins, and then it's Joe Exotic and all these other people, and then all these other people don't like Carol Baskins, and then uh, it, they focus in on the one guy, and then it goes back to Joe Exotic and Carol Baskins, and then it's about Joe Exotic again and, and whatever the other guy's Jeff Lowe. Just, it, it, it is all over the place. It, it jerks you back and forth. It don't get me wrong, funny, really, 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 really funny. Uh, very memeable, but not consistent. Very confusing with all the way they throw it back and forth of what they're trying to focus on. Um, but one of the most memeable things I've ever seen in my life. That's that's hilarious to me that you're you're describing the show like this because I feel like I've described some movies like this. Like it makes it it makes I, it feels like. Someone on meth edited this while documenting people that are on meth. So you're saying that John Finley edited this together while also simultaneously being in this. And he just happened to insert a shot of himself going, oh, meth is a hell of a drug. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rick James. No. Um, uh, but yeah, it just. It's very it it comes across very sporadic to me, and I like I said I watch a lot more of these than you do, so I'm one of those ones where every one of these has really strange characters. Um, Making a murderer has the guy that's falsely accused and then uh, spends almost twenty years in jail and then gets back out and then is accused of another murder and gets convicted. Uh, Aaron Hernandez, dudes. You know, a football superstar. Why is he murdering people? The Staircase has the guy that uh, seemingly for no reason at all would push his wife down the stairs. Uh, but when you find out his personal life, maybe he really did do it. Um, the Pharmacist has the guy whose son gets killed and he works uh, while he's trying to buy crack. And then he uh, works in a pharmacy and he sees all these people coming in at the beginning of the opioid crisis where they're all being addicted to uh, prescription painkillers at ridiculously high doses and no one is listening to him. And this one, uh, you know, it or in all of those, you see like it, there's no dip in like the stakes getting raised in this one. And then this one, it's like this dude's on meth 
and he's also a country star, and he's got a weird-ass mustache and a bunch of tattoos. He's married to two dudes, and one of his employees got their arm ripped off, and then they don't like this other lady who's like the Hillary Clinton of big cats, and then there's the one guy with the sex cult, and then there's some guy in uh, Kentucky and Indiana, and uh, then Jeff Lowe shows up, and it's just it's all over the place. Dude, it, that's how big the scope like, of this is, the though. Big, the, biggest, the biggest problem... Well, the biggest problem with this is... They build it like it's about Joe Exotic, and then they lose focus of Joe Exotic. Because they're painting the bigger picture. There's there's such a big world that, as you said, they the the director then don't bill it to be about Joe Exotic. They well, I mean, the poster child of this is Joe Exotic, but uh, when it comes to uh, what the director was going through, um, I, uh, I'm trying to pull his name up here. Um, I don't know why it's not up here on IMDb, but, um, uh, Rebecca and Eric, what Rebecca and Eric ended up stumbling themselves into was such a bigger thing. Like all these other people that also own big cats and then, oh my God, uh, this guy's just as weird as Joe, but he didn't try to murder somebody. Um, oh my God, this, uh, this other guy. Uh, who ended up coming in and saving Joe's farm inadvertently, ends up being completely full of crap and is just, like, a big uh, 45-year-old man-child that, like, probably doesn't have all the money that he has. Like, all these other things... And spent all his money at the Harley-Davidson store off Route 9. Yeah, all these other things around the film. Like, when it diverts into uh, the, the woman getting her arm bitten off, or when it devolves into... Uh, that cat owner, or when it even devolves into the documentarian, the guy who's documenting and decided, okay, I'm going to be your uh, director of, uh, not marketing, but like, I'm going to direct Joe Exotic Media and like all the stuff that he goes oh. through. Quick, quick, th- quick thing. Uh, Dustin, me and you went to high school with Dustin. I want to point out something that he shared on Facebook today. The craziest thing out of all of the Tiger King stuff is the fact that the guy that was the original documentarian is now in front of the camera being interviewed by the guy that's now doing that what his job was before it all got burned to the ground. <laughs> yes, that is ironic. Yes. I, uh, I have... So, shout out to you, man. That was a good point. Yeah, the... Uh... Well, also, um, I saw um, some follow-up video that um, described what things are going on with people out after the show came out. Um, that guy got teeth. Well, yeah, yeah, John got teeth. But um, the documentarian, he also had his apartment set on fire. The apartment that he moved into after he left Joe Exotic's uh, uh, zoo, that apartment also caught on fire. So he was involved with two separate arsons. Uh, I'm starting to think it was him. Thinking Joe? No, no, no. I'm starting to think it was the documentarian. He's like, I'm in tax trouble. Dude, okay, no. So, Okay, since we're going to start diving into breaking down certain aspects of the show. Well, no, like, no, no. Back, back to what I was saying, though. Like, my biggest problem is it establishes everything's crazy. But every other document uh, of the documentaries I've seen consistently is building up all the crazy stuff that's happening in it. Like uh, pharmacist, it starts with, 
you know, my son died from a crack overdose and I work uh, as a pharmacist. And I saw all these people at the beginning of the opioid crisis and I tried raising uh, raising concerns about it. No one would listen to me. And then I started noticing that all the prescriptions were coming from this one doctor. And then after that, I went after her and I almost lost my I lost my job and my license. But then after that, I went back with a, a microphone and did this like um, it, it continuously raises the stakes. It doesn't it doesn't settle and hold. This show, because they don't focus on a main character that they're kind of selling as like, he's the main character, but also here's like these eight other people, but he's the main character. Uh, because it's not doing that, it doesn't focus and hone in on anything, and it's really scatterbrained, and it whole, it puts you on hold with waiting to see how crazy the Joe Exotic storyline is, which they've built as their story of like, this is what matters, but now we got to learn about Tiger Sex Cult guy, like, yeah, holy crap, that's crazy. What about the what about the guy in Oklahoma with the crazy mustache and the tattoos and he's married to two dudes and he's got a bunch of tigers and he's constantly in legal trouble and he's shooting blow up dolls of Carol Baskins? It's this you can, you can't it's world it's, it's world not building. it's not effective. It okay it's world building cool world building should not be half of your documentary world building should be maybe an episode, but. They start, they're like, we're going to focus in on Joe Exotic. We have to build this world because no one knows about it. But we're going to build it for three or four, uh, or we're going to build it for three episodes and a six-part documentary series. So are you saying that you would have... You be- So basically, basically what, what I'm getting at is, it after one to two episodes, two episodes at the max, you should be... I was fully bought into, this is insane. Go further. And they're like... No, no, no. We just want you to understand what the world of big cats are like. It's like, dude, I I got it. You've given me two 45-minute episodes of what this world is like. Go with the crazy guy story. You're starting to plateau, and you're not gaining any ground. You're just staying weird. Get weirder. And it doesn't get weirder. And then it when it does decide to get weirder, it goes – it literally – instead of like – Instead of being a gradual climb, it goes from it goes from like the weird level it's at to absolutely as bonkers and insane as it can be, and then it plateaus off again. Are you? It's it's it is not a steady increase. It is very much a woo plateau, woo plateau, woo plateau. Are are you saying necessarily that you would rather have had like what three episodes where it was part one where you meet Joe, part. Uh, what three or four? Where it's all about Carol potentially murdering her husband, and then the last episode where Joe finally—it's really more dived into about like Joe killing or trying to kill Carol. Like, is do you think it needed to be more what? focused that way? One, you need to have him trying to kill Carol more interwoven throughout the entire story. Dude, it's uh, two, it's so built up that he was harassing the crap out of her throughout like this entire five year saga that the film takes place in. It builds up motivation. It doesn't. I forgot that that's what he did. You forgot that he was making videos daily, going. No, 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 no. I forgot that he was uh, locked up for hiring a hitman. Well, they they established that right in that first episode, though. And then they don't mention it till the last one. No, they they bring it up periodically, like just like yeah, little like half a minute snippets. But like there are shots outside of the jail where he's on the phone with presumably the director, 
Like they, it's not that it's, it's not, absent. it's not inner, it's not interwoven very well. It's very just like, oh yeah, remember? And then they move on and then, oh yeah, remember? And then they move that's, on. That's, that's pre, that's, that's foreshadowing where this is going to while we're getting the rest of this gigantic it's story. A, it's again, it's the woo plateau. It's not a steady, it's not a steady, hey, this is building, this is a storyline building to him of getting ready to kill her. It's, oh yeah, he's going to kill her. And then this random guy has a sex tiger cult. And then uh, back to Carol. By the way, he wants to kill Carol. Like, So were you, so were you not just, what? So were you not just, uh, just naturally interested in wanting to just be engrossed and figure out and learn about all these other people that the film was presenting at the same time? Like, it's. No. Okay, that's okay. That I just wanted to hear you say that because that's what it comes off to me is like you wanted the crime. It, you you didn't care about yes. anybody else. I want I want the thing it's telling me it's going to tell me. How would you not fascinated you're though bloating, at all these weird the people out of this? You're bloating the shit out of this just to be like, "Oh yeah, um here's these people that don't really play into anything in the end." Dude, how are these people not fascinating though? They're fast. Okay, it's false advertising is the best way I can break it down. What's false in the advertising? They build it as a story about Joe Exotic. He barely has anything to do with two episodes of a six-part miniseries. Well, okay, that there's well the 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 husbands they they were his husbands, and when they go, oh well. No, we're not gay. We just married him for his meth. Like, <laughs> that's that's a part of Joe. Well, one of them can't say anything because he's dead. Well, okay. It's not... Jesus. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll but, let you keep... I mean, I'll let you keep talking. Oh, it, by the way, there's something you have to edit. Um, but... Uh, it's just... It, I'm not saying it's bad, but people acting like it's the best crime documentary series that's out. No. It's the most memeable, other than the one where, uh, uh, what's the one where the guy talks about, and then he relieved him or whatever? Oh, uh, that's, that, that's fire. No, 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 no. It's the one about the old guy that's talking about giving HJs or something. Oh, um, oh, uh, Captured in Plain Sight? Um, taken in plain yes, sight. Yes, taken in plain sight. Yeah, yeah. That was the most memed one, I think. Um, before this, it it here's the thing. Its insane moments are the most insane moments, but it doesn't. It's not got a lot. Well, okay, let me rephrase that. It's got a decent amount, but the lulls I got in between the crazy moments were just like. It just felt like an okay crime documentary. That's so fascinating to me hearing you say that. Like I, this is this is this is perfect for us, dude. I grew up in Indiana. People on meth are not that fascinating. Uh, well, okay, I did too, and I, uh, okay, I, it's yes, but you've lived in Florida and New York in the last ten years. You haven't got the meth experience of living in Indiana like I have from living here my entire life and never leaving. I. It's, what you see somebody like lighting up a glass pipe on the highway, like? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's Indiana. Okay, I there's clearly a clear distinction between like how interested we were in just everybody that wasn't Joe versus Carol, like, uh, 
was there any one person that you found particularly interesting or the closest to like, okay, maybe I do want to hear more about them like during this seven hour exposition? His campaign manager. <laughs> the guy that saw um, Joel Be- kill himself? Because, because, well, here's the thing. I thought Carol Baskins for a while. I was like, she's the most normal, insane person in this. And then they're like, she killed her husband. And it's like, you've lost pretty much all credibility. <laughs> um, but that campaign manager, dude, that guy saw some wild stuff. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to, I have the whole cast of characters in front of me. Um, oh, Joshua. Yeah, 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 Joshua. God, man, that poor guy. Dude, Joshua that guy watched, watched... That guy watched an accidental suicide right before his very eyes. Dude, I, I'm honestly so glad that he happened to be just out of frame of the camera because there's no way that Netflix would yeah. not have aired that unedited. That would have been so horrific to watch in that specific episode. Yeah. I, like... Well, you you saw another crime documentary. Did you see the one about? Uh, I think it's called Evil Genius or Evil Geniuses. The people that like order a pizza and then they strap a bomb around the delivery guy's neck and tell him to wrap a, rob a bank. Oh no, I I I know what you're talking about. I haven't Sp- seen it, but spoiler spoiler alert! In the first twenty minutes, uh, they find out the bomb's real because it blows up while it's still on the guy, and they show you the unedited explosion. Oh God. Oh, because it was because it was recorded by the news. Oh, my God. That sounds so. I mean, I know Netflix made it and I've seen ads for it, but you telling me that specifically is good. It's frankly, frankly, I find that much more entertaining and just full of crazy, unbelievable characters than Tiger King. But it's not as memeable. You find bizarre events more interesting than just bizarre people. Hmm. Kinda. I've never thought about that, but kinda. Well, it sounds like that because the events in Tiger King aren't that bizarre. It's just the absurdity of these people. Like, you got two guys who are straight that married a guy who could provide them endless meth just because they want meth. You got a guy that's running his own zoo that is also allegedly kind of running his own sex cult. And then you got Carol Baskins that... My one of my favorite memes, it's not my favorite one, but my favorite meme of her specifically is her on her bike. And it says, oh, I'm off to go kill my husband, steal his will, take 90 percent of his equity and then convince Congress to get rid of my uh, competition. You know, you were talking about like the the crime documentary they're going to have into like the disappearance and death of her husband. Honestly, I'm more interested in that than I kind of am in Tiger King. Like. I really do want to know how this lady got away with it. Like when I, I love the scene where they interview the late husband's family. Cause they're all like, Oh no, she for sure did it. Yeah. That was they're like, there is no doubt in our mind that she killed him and fed him to a tiger outs just to keep his money because he was going to divorce her outside of the, uh, the episode that had Joe's uh, younger husband kill himself. I think that episode about Carol, allegedly killing her husband was easily the most fascinating episode out of the entire series. Very. uh, Yeah. I will say, I think the most interesting, the most interesting things are Carol Baskin murdering her husband. Um, the accidental suicide, 
Joe Exotic running for governor and president. Oh, dude. Because... Did you watch that actual uh, Last Week Tonight clip on YouTube? No. No, I didn't. Oh, dude. I, I, I've been... My, my sister did show me the unedited campaign video, though. Oh, my God. Where he walks out. He's like, I'm not going to wear a suit. I've been to jail. I've done drugs. I've been a big Last Week Tonight fan since it started. And I remember... While I was watching the documentary and it pulled that clip up of John Oliver talking about him, it, it just came back to me. I was like, oh, I remember watching this three years ago. Like, <laughs> it just blew my mind that like, oh, wait, this documentary is about just that go, guy? That just goes to... You know what's funny? What if he actually did make it to like the final round of the presidential race, and they're like, "All right, we got Trump, we got we got Bernie, and we got Joe Exotic." Oh God, dude, dude, just the this makes me just think of that campaign video again, where the the tiger just pulls him with no effort, and he almost shoots the tiger in the face point blank. Well, so when that scene happened, I, uh, I, uh, I think I was eating lunch or something when, when that came up. So I finished and I got to put, got off to put my plate away and he, I, uh, I saw him get attacked and get dragged. I just heard him yelling. So I was like, ah, whatever. And I get up and I, then I hear the gunshots and I was like, holy crap. Did he kill one of his tigers? Dude, you, you would think he did like, um, oh my God, there's. What's what's funny is like I don't know about you. That's when I felt a very large tone shift in it in the documentary. Like they, it felt it felt like the documentary do, or documentarians finally went. We're gonna go dark it, uh, on Joe Exotic. Like it's not holy crap. This guy's insane or holy crap. Look at the funny stuff that's happened with this guy. It's like uh, this guy's legally insane and capable of violent acts. I agree with that, but it's it's part of the the formula to which they are telling the story like obviously you're going to ease into something that's dealing with a a story with consequences of this magnitude you're going to ease everybody in with just like the spectacle of just like holy crap look at how goofy this guy is like and look at all these people that are associated to him or actually directly work with him like look at how goofy these guys all are and then oh it turns out they're not just goofy. From, they're from an editing standpoint. From an editing standpoint, what I think it was is they show that clip and there's no music in the background, and it, it doesn't trail off to like another person telling like, "Oh yeah, it was the best time of our life" type story. It just it it plays it, no music, and it holds on it in a way where it's like, "Yeah, this is kind of ominous and a sign of bad things to come." Well, yeah, it does e- eventually ease into that, and then when it goes from oh, yeah, these guys are silly, to actually, Joe's insane. And allegedly, all these other guys are insane, corrupt, just pieces of crap. Like, once it finally turns into that, like, in the last, like, two episodes, like, that's that perfectly plays into the formula that, I mean, the couple crime documentaries I've seen. Like, it makes sense that it would go into it in this way. And... Also have those people on the sidelines, like the woman that got her arm bitten off, just like, oh, well, this is what I'm passionate about. Like, nah, screw getting my arm fixed. Hey, uh, ran- ran- random interjection. Uh, did you listen to Jeff Foxworthy much as a kid? I have heard Jeff Foxworthy, but... 
I've heard of Jock. I've heard of Jock's Fofts word. Yeah. <laughs> um, he had a joke. He had a joke about a, or maybe it was Bill Ingvall had a joke about a guy getting his nipple bitten off by a beaver. Oh, <laughs> I remember that joke. Did you realize that <laughs> when, you jo- said, when you said got her arm bitten off by a tiger, all I could hear was them go- some redneck voice be like, got his nipple bitten off by a beaver. Dude, Joe Exotic stole that line that he used on um uh, oh god uh, whatever the younger husband's name was uh he stole the that line that he used on him from a ron white joke speaking of uh the blue collar comedy tour straight. yeah yeah that is a ron white joke yeah i can hear ron white in my mind saying well i like him to have a big heart throbbing oh yeah I never looked at it like that. Yeah, exactly. With the cigar and the glass of whiskey, like, <laughs> yeah, that's that is so a Ron White joke. <laughs> speaking of uh, speaking of the scene where the the arm comes off, the funny like like I was getting at where like Joe gets attacked by that tiger and then they play it as like a dark terrible thing. This person gets their arm bitten off in the show, and then it's followed up with Joe Exotic saying probably the funniest thing I think imaginable, where he walks in to, like, the gift shop area, and he's like, Hey, y'all, I'm going to tell you this right now before we hear it on the news. One of our trainers got attacked by a tiger and lost their arm. So I can give you a rain check or a refund. (laughs) Oh, dude, dude that that's was... the first thing you think about is money? How about the arm's gone? I will never financially recover financially from this. Financially recover from this. <laughs> yeah, that's... God. That's, that's the most memeable part of this whole show, easily. If not just any moment where... No, nah, he... I think I think the Carol Baskins killed her husband jokes that, like, <laughs> show up everywhere. Like, every... Like, yeah. They're like... I, I like the ones where they're like, who's responsible for COVID-19? And then, and then, it's, and then it's a picture of Joe Exotic's face. It's like, that, that B. Carol Baskins did it to get rid of her husband. Dude, any single meme that has Joe with a tiger next to him and it says, oh, well, that that B. World uh, Carol did it. Like, the fact that Joe could be, uh, or the fact that Carol can be blamed for all the world's problems. Like, well, why are we on week six of COVID-19 lockdown? It's because that B. Carol Baskins. Like, <laughs> I liked. Um, I also liked when uh, the the one where they screenshot out. Uh, 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 what's the what's the uh, guy with the three teeth's name? John. When they when they have John and they're like social distancing. <laughs> And then they got like his his one tooth his one where it's missing only one tooth and it says too close and then it goes to the other side and it's got the two teeth missing and it's like perfect distance. Oh dude, we've been joking about that at work so much. Like my job is an essential job and we're all allowed to still be at work and the <laughs> I thought you were gonna say we're all allowed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> On the clock. <laughs> yeah, no, we we a lot of a lot of my coworkers have been talking about Tiger King for the last two weeks, and we were all laughing so hard at like our managers are like not yelling at us, but like they're really taking the six feet like super seriously. So like we're all just laughing at like oh we gotta stay af- as far apart as John's teeth are. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what about um all the music videos? 
oh my god, the fact that he's actually lip syncing all those songs from yeah! other people. He's not even singing his own songs. Dude, reading that after the fact, like, I assumed that that was the case in the movie, like, because I'm watching it and well, I'm just like, there's we were, no we way were... he actually sings this. And like, when he's in his truck and he's just like, you know, I love going to work and listening to myself, uh, myself saying. And he's, <laughs> and he's tone deaf as hell. Yeah. <laughs> no, me and Kelsey, me and Kelsey were watching this and the first one plays and I was like, oh, I was like, do you know he doesn't sing his own song? She goes, what? That's such, that's such crap. And I was like, yeah, seriously, you didn't pick up on it. She goes, no. I was like, did you really listen to that guy and then listen to the song they just played and go, that was definitely him. Oh, dude, it, it was nothing like Joe. Exotic. It was so obvious right off the bat. I was just like, there is no way on God's green earth that you actually are singing that song. Like, <laughs> that's like, OK, that is so much like if you took uh, Dr. Frank from The Simpsons and then you edited in the audio from the Family Guy joke about Ashley Simpson lip syncing. And it's like, old man river. Old Man River. Like, it, it's so not even close to Joe Exotic's voice. Oh, dude. Yeah, like, everybody's singing at his his husband's funeral. <laughs> yeah! Read the room, man! That was amazing. That was so funny. I liked, I liked, I liked his uh, people that knew him, too. They were like, yeah, he made that funeral all about him. And I was like, dude, why are you flexing at a funeral? Yeah, with his what his his golden globes or whatever like <laughs> also speaking of speaking of weird things joe exotic does i never got an answer to uh from you uh about this why does he dress like a catholic priest uh uh he has the he has the catholic priest collar on multiple times that i i still don't have an answer i have i have no idea i <laughs> <laughs> of the of the many bizarre fashion choices that he has during this show, I <laughs> I have no answer. <laughs> and then uh, when when uh when it finally gets to the point, and they start talking about the hit on Carol Baskins, um, did you notice that they play up the guy? That ends up like not not going ahead with it and killing her because he went to the strip club too much. Did you notice they play up that guy to be like some big giant terrible behemoth, and then you listen to him talk and he sounds like Mike Tyson? Yeah, but I kind of like that. It it kind of allowed him to get humanized a little bit. Like I kind of like that it allowed him like no he's he's been around the block many times and like he's because uh, he's he's circling it looking for. Uh, witnesses <laughs> he's been around the block he's had a lot of bad luck in his life he's got substance problems and just he's got a teardrop tattoo from stabbing <laughs> just by happenstance he d he realizes that in this one specific case like perfect place perfect timing that uh you know this this one i'm this one i shouldn't do i and like really just the fact that, like, it was that simple thing that ended up being the first domino to take down all of this. And then it ended up being so obvious. It was, it had to be the biggest slam dunk for the prosecutors to just be like, okay, there's clearly premeditation on this. Like, this guy's going down. Like, 
Like this dude, this dude read this woman's diary, shot yeah. blow up dolls, continuously said, "If if uh, you send animal rights activists over to my place, here's what I'm gonna do to them." And and he shoots. Expl- By the way, explosive targets are one of the weirdest things to me. Where it's like, what's that thing? Oh, I shoot it and it explodes. Yeah, <laughs> that's literally blowing your money up. They're they're awesome, but still a weird concept. It's like. When, when, uh, I like when he's being interviewed by, I think it's a news channel and, uh, his husband who accidentally shoots himself hasn't, hasn't done that yet. So he's like, go ahead and show him what we're going to do to people that, I don't know why he sounds like Bill Cosby. Uh, go ahead and show him what we're going to do to people that trespass. And then he shoots it and like the chunks of debris go flying by them. And they're like, oh, we were too close. Yeah. I'm amazed more people around you aren't missing limbs, Joe Exotic. Yeah. Because you, like, like the time where uh, they're standing on his property, it's like a millisecond scene. Uh, he's got terrible gun safety. Like, they're like, he's like, yeah, that's my, uh, that's my mother-in-law over there. And then he fires a gun around, like, right next to where she's standing. I was like, yeah. <laughs> what the, why are you doing that? Dude, I... Oh, my God. We haven't even mentioned the guy that they're like, yeah, he has a sex cult. Oh, no, we've mentioned him. We haven't really dived into it. I mean, that, what else is there to dive into, though, other than this guy? Like, do you, this guy's a Do you want to know something creep. funny? This guy more... Do you want to know... Do you want to know a personal connection that our show has to that guy? Oh, oh, dear God, please. What? What is this? I used to be in a sex cult. No. Um... <laughs> We went, uh, after we graduated high school that summer, my family and I went on a trip trip to Myrtle Beach. My dad and I did not end up going to this thing, but my sister and mom did. Uh, they went to that preserve. No. Are you serious? And the reason I knew it was is because I remember them saying they have the elephant from Ace Ventura. And then in this series, they show the elephant and talk about how it was an Ace Ventura. And I was like, that's where they went. No. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> Did they meet there's the... A, there's a picture There's a picture that my family has of... Uh, we nicknamed it uh, Inappropriate Touch Monkey because uh, there's an orangutan that looks like it's trying to unbutton my mom's shirt. <laughs> and I remember we got the photo and I looked at my dad. I was like, you want to kick that thing's ass? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, did they meet the... Did they meet the blonde one over there with the big teeth or the one over there with the... <laughs> <laughs> that's a weird way of describing him. Yeah, she got big teeth. <laughs> the one that's been with me since uh, she was sixteen. Uh. <laughs> when when you describe someone as the blonde one over there with big teeth, it sounds like you evaluate them like they're horses. Dude, that was another. You just like open their mouth and you're looking like, oh, they got good teeth. I would put that. This one's blonde. I would put that girl's testimonial as like the honorable mention of like the most heartbreaking thing in this movie like talk like her talking about like how vulnerable and how young she was and then like the fact that her her description of the forced plastic surgery was actually really depressing oh my god that and a hundred dollars a week and when she's when she's like she's like well i didn't i didn't even agree to him they just kind of stated it was going to happen and then i was in the chair and then i woke up with bigger breasts i was like that's depressing and i happened to get like a week off of work like that was so sad to hear that like she only got time off of work while she was recovering from breast implants like that was so depressing 
who else are we leaving out? Uh, we talked about um, the documentarian. We talked about the girl with her arm getting bitten off. We talked about the sex cult. <laughs> we uh, we talked about Carol and her husband. Which, by the way, I'm just we haven't talked about the husband. Like this second husband, like how straight faced he is. Like while he's talking about like. Yeah, they harassed her by putting her in. My favorite description of him is people were like, this guy's got the personality of I am wearing socks with sandals. Yeah, this guy, (laughs) this guy is a walking (laughs) New Balance ad. (laughs) He's 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 walking. What does a dad look like when mowing the lawn? Yeah, (laughs) he I mean, there were a couple interesting points that he made about like, oh, well, maybe uh, her first husband crashed in the gulf coast or maybe it was an assistant in his law firm or like there were a couple moments where like i could like see like straight laced dead serious like okay you are making a point the 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 thing that got kind of confusing is someone says that the tiger's stomach is so acidic it can digest bones and then i think she contradicts that she's like no it's not yeah like uh, well, a scientist said it, Carol, and you're clearly a flower child. Also, her, out of all the places to work, hers is probably the most insane because it's purely volunteers. She doesn't pay anyone anything. Oh, yeah, it's legal slave labor. Like, Joe at least pays his people. If we In meth. Well, in meth and marriage, but... <laughs> I It was, it was kind of interesting, that kind of perspective they put on it. Like, it was like a... Like that uh, Island of Misfit Toys perspective that they kind of put on it. If you... I, I We're going kind of long on this one. If you... Because you can't cast Nicolas Cage, but... Oh, yes, you, you can. Nick Cage is the most <laughs> like? Oh, dude. Nick Cage. Um, I'm pulling up the cast list right here. Uh, I had it in mind earlier. I would either put Nick Cage as... Um, Either Rick Kirkman, the guy who was the TV director, just like he could kind of have like this kind of more mellow, just like, yeah, I'm I'm just kind of here to to get my retirement money, like. <laughs> or I would cast him as Jeff Lowe, the the fake financier that ends up being full of crap, like. <laughs> he would be the uh, sex cult leader. You think Nick Cage with that? <laughs> that that back long ponytail and uh <laughs> soul patch yeah yes absolutely dude i'm 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 arguing that i think he would be funnier as the <clears throat> excuse me as the uh i'm not i'm not i'm not saying i'm not saying funnier i'm saying if if he wasn't famous and he was definitely one of the people from this who would he most be like he probably would be a sex cult leader because if you if you look at nicolas cage and you don't want to get in bed God bless you. Okay, in that regard, I'm going to agree with you. It either would have been him or it would have been the the Mexican drug dealer turned big cat dealer. <laughs> yeah. Which we haven't even... Oh, yeah, we forgot that guy where he's like, yeah, we cut snakes open and we store drugs in them. <laughs> yeah, some guy just dropped his body off in my farm and I'm just like, all right, let's burn him. <laughs> <laughs> I like when he's like, well... My thought process was I could go to the police or I could just burn him. And burning him seemed like the least hassle. I was like, dude, you killed him. Yeah, no. Well, there were people around me that killed him, but I was still there. So I'm guilty by association. Like, (laughs) (laughs) dude, that was amazing. Uh, Okay. 
So, yeah, that's... We have been going a little long versus our normal Brownie Bite segment. Um, that's more or less our thoughts on Tiger King as of right now. Obviously, things are still going to be coming out by the time you guys are listening to this episode. But, uh, yeah, we, we had to get our thoughts out on it. Uh, it's it's a phenomenon. Go check it out on Netflix. Uh, I think it's amazing. I'm a full pan of Brownies with Sprinkles. Nick, you said you're a half pan, right? Half pan. All right, so with that... Uh, that is it for this week's Brownie Bite segment. We are going to take a very, very brief break. And when we come back, we are once again taking two trips into the time machine. The first trip is going to be to 2002 when we talk about the Tom Cruise film directed by Steven Spielberg, Minority Report. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. This week, on our first trip into the time machine, we went to 2002 to a movie that takes place in 2054 Washington, D.C. It is the Steven Spielberg film Minority Report. It stars Tom Cruise in the lead role, along with Samantha Morton and Max von Sydow, Neil McDonough, and Tim Blake Nelson. Uh, this film was my pick for The Time Machine, and I was super excited to watch it. I've heard a lot of great things about it, um, and it kind of doesn't live up to the hype that I had perceived it had up to that point. Um, I, I have an interesting point to raise to you about the movie that I want to see if you agree with. Okay, I'll, um... I'll finish my hot take here real quick. Um, it's it's not the best film. It's not a terrible film. It uh, it it has moments where it's really really fascinating and it's really really interesting, and I'm really engrossed in this world. And uh, it's shot beautifully. The acting overall is really solid. Um, Oh, Colin Farrell, by the way, I forgot to mention he was in this. Like, uh, it, all the acting across the board is actually pretty good, but, um, and the score is great. Um, I can go through the usual suspects when it comes to who was a part of this film. It's all Steven Spielberg regulars, but, um, the, the, the film itself, like, whenever I'm not that engrossed in it, like, it's because the movie doesn't let itself just be the movie nobody shuts up like every time it's just establishing something i it's just like okay you establish this but you keep talking about it so i can't check my brain at the door to just let the movie be what it is i have to keep asking myself in the movie okay well what about this factor or what about this factor like oh well did you think this through like the movie never lets me check my brain out the door fully because i is trying to establish this world too thoroughly, I guess. And then at the same time, it is, it, it's got a weird tone problem. It's, it can't. So, so that, that brings up my point. Do you agree with me that Steven Spielberg should not have been the person to direct this movie? I guess it feels weird saying that, but at the same time, I kind of agree with you. It, like, it's it's not it, it's not that he did a bad job. 
his style does not match what this story should be. It's it's really weird the way he directs this movie. Like you can see pieces of the big blockbuster, like the Hollywood production, Steven Spielberg, I, like in this movie. But then you also see like the serious, uh, uh, Saving Private Ryan and Schindler's List, Steven Spielberg. But I got I got a ton of like he was trying to make Indiana Jones, but in the future where it's. Oh, it's action-paced and, and it's intense and it's uh, dark and it's gritty and it's a, it's not a great subject matter. And then there's random times where he tries to make you laugh and be uplifting. It's like, no, that doesn't fit. He tries. Don't do that. He tries so hard to be his big. It got so far, <laughs> but in the end, it doesn't even matter. He tries so hard to be his Hollywood blockbuster self while also being a little bit of Stanley Kubrick. And in this specific instance, it doesn't, it just doesn't quite gel together enough. Like there is a yeah. really fascinating story here. Philip K. Dick is an incredible sci-fi author. He is an incredible writer, but. Hey, do you want to know, you want to know who his, uh, his um, cousin is? Who's, who's Philip K. Dick's cousin? Dick best. <laughs> When they have when his actually I take that back, redo the joke. When his family gets together for uh, Thanksgiving and they play flag football, the team that wins, the Dick Bess. <laughs> I'm gonna keep all of that in this. By the way, I'm not cutting any of that out. That was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's thank you. It's uh, I it's it's a really odd movie to me. Like. Like I was saying, it's it's visually compelling. I do think the ending of the movie is actually really fascinating. I do have one theory that I want to give to you, like, versus how you perceive the ending. Uh, and then, I guess, versus the way I perceived the ending while I was watching it. That's interesting, because I didn't think there were multiple ways to take the ending. Okay, that's perfect. Like, I, you see the ending your way. I see the ending my way. And then I saw a theory about a different way to take the ending that I didn't think of, which I don't know if you took it that way or closer to my way, but it's, um, it's, it's such a mixed bag, dude. This movie is the epitome of a half pan and on our scale, that's like a so-so it's kind of good. It's kind of bad. It's, there's a lot of things that are fascinating to think about with this movie, but as a whole, there are so many glaring issues with the movie, like with it's tone and it's awkward like it's it's unintentionally funny when it's not supposed to be it's way too serious when it wants to be taken seriously like it's kind of melodramatic like it's it's so all over the place it is it's a popcorn movie and a serious drama like it i just it was too much of too many things like that it wanted to be it couldn't focus on being one specific thing and that kind of ruined ultimately like my enjoyment of it like i there's a lot of things that I enjoy that just are for the wrong reasons that are very memeable, but yeah, I just, it's a half pan. I don't hate this movie, but it's <laughs> is very far from the pedigree that you would expect from a movie from the likes of Steven Spielberg of all people. Um, this week has ac- is actually probably the most difficult week I can think of for the show with both movies. I still have no idea what I'm going to rate them. Um, I can't remember if it was this or Predator 2. One of the two movies, because I, I watched them both on the same day. 
I remember telling you I am oh, going from a full pan with sprinkles all the way down to a, a, a cookie. And I think it was this one. I think this is the one that I was like, it, it, it took me all over the spectrum of what we, what we give movies. Um, I really, I will say this. I really think there is a very interesting story here. I think there is a very, very interesting story here. It is not executed to the best of its abilities. Um, I think it is way too exposition heavy. Um, there are scenes where it's just kind of miraculous that an action scene even happens. Cause I don't understand how someone could get so worked up with all the talking they're doing. Um, I think it, I think it poses a very interesting moral of if you can stop a crime before it's happening, should you still treat the person as if they committed the crime? Because you know, the only reason they didn't do it is because you intervened. Um, I think, I think that's a very interesting question. Um, a little heavy handed with, uh, Tom Cruise and running. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> like, we can talk about the moment, the moment that his kid asked him, like, can you teach me to run faster, daddy? I was like, dude, we get it. Tom Cruise likes running. Like, dude, this, I think I okay, texted this... you every single time Tom Cruise was sprinting in this movie. I was like, oh, look, Tom Cruise is running again. Okay. This is the epicenter. This has to be, I'm not a film forensics. Like I'm not a true expert on Tom Cruise. I've, even though I do love most of the movies well, that he's in. I was going to also say 2004 was earlier than like you really got into movies. Well, no, I'm just saying that like in my knowledge of movies I have now, it's it's I haven't done a full like anatomy research into his entire filmography, but I would not be surprised if this was the movie that on its poster says everybody runs was the epicenter of the running joke, no pun intended, of Tom Cruise runs in everything. Like <laughs> so if Tom Cruise is obsessed with running, does he take solid poops or does he just constantly have diarrhea? I I I bet with his physical. Does workout. he have the runs all the time? Is what I'm getting at. Does Tom Cruise have the runs all the time? Ah, uh, okay. I... Pepto Bismol. You might want to reach out to Tom Cruise about a marketing uh, thing. He could be your Jared Fogel, minus you know the horrible things Jared Fogel did. Uh, hashtag Tom Cruise is no. <laughs> <laughs> what what I'm get, what I'm getting at is Tom Cruise could like you could go to him if he if he just is constantly having diarrhea they'd be like Tom Cruise suffered from diarrhea for 17 years and then he got Pepto Bismol and look at Jared or not look at Tom running he and I'm serious Tom didn't do the horrible things Jared Fogel did but I'm just getting at like he could be your your guy where he's suffering from the horrible thing that he suffers from and then. Uh, fixes it with your product. Well, Tom Cruise is into Scientology, so that's kind of horrible in its own right, but... (laughs) (laughs) Keep it in church, man! (laughs) That's a joke. You haven't studied psychology, okay? That is a joke, um, but... (laughs) You don't know psychology like I do. She doesn't need pills. Um... But, uh, I don't really know where we were going. It was something about Tom Cruise running, and then I started talking about Tom Cruise having diarrhea. Oh, yeah. I was saying that uh, if we're talking seriously, like, with how fit he is, I mean, he, he's got to have some pretty solid what, runs. What you're getting at is he's on a liquid juice diet, so he, of course, has diarrhea. <laughs> 
no, I no, <laughs> no, he's his his runs have to be pretty solid. I'm just saying, like with all the fitness regimen that I used to go through when I was younger, his it's it's got to be fairly solid and fairly regular. I <laughs> you're taking you're pooping out logs. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, back to the movie. Yeah, um, no, back to the movie. I I want to. Uh, I want to mention. Speaking of disgusting things in the movie, the scene where he eats the rotten food. No, oh uh, no, hold on. We can talk about like goofy things that made us laugh in a second. I, uh, before we really dive into it, I want to start it off since we've given our hot takes now. I, I'm related to. Well, I also what 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 rating do you give this? A half pan? Yeah, just a half pan. Like you already. I'm I'm really struggling between a half pan and a full pan. Really, you actually kind of like this movie like that much. I okay. I think, I think this is. It was either this one or Predator. One of the movies I said this is actually like the firmest three quarter pan I can think of. I really cannot figure out what my rating is. Um, well let's 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 figure that out together. I yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, earlier today when I um, I reached out to a relative of mine that is, uh, a lawyer. Uh, that's all the detail that I'll, I'll give about, uh, this specific person. Um, this person has been a lawyer for over 20 years, prosecutor, uh, actual, like straight up, like lawyer, uh, whatever the different fields and levels that you're talking about. Like he's been through the legal, uh, the process, uh, through all the, you know, just, He's a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that wasn't awkward. No. <laughs> um, so I reached out to him and I asked him about the scene specifically in the beginning of the film when Tom Cruise uh, rolls Colin Farrell that ball and Colin catches it. And he's like, well, why'd you catch it? Uh, it was going to fall. Why'd you know it was going to fall? Because it was rolling to the edge of the table so you knew it was going to happen. Therefore, you caught it. And therefore, that's the same thing. We know that somebody's going to be murdered, and we stop them before it happens. So I asked him, given you have to suspend your disbelief when you're watching a movie and, like, it's setting its own rules and, like, time and all that, like, if precogs were a real thing now in 2020 what would be the legal ramifications? Like if you were a defense attorney right now for somebody that was convicted of being a precog, what would, what would your best defense be? And like, what would um, the fact that that argument um, that Tom Cruise gave for its existence, what does that mean? So the, what he told me was in a roundabout way, trying to keep it simplified he said the only thing that he could think of is that you have to attack the system or the officer. So you have to ask a question whether, like, the officer had possible premeditations or any—not premeditations, but, like, if this officer had a motive or uh, an agenda against this specific person that he is alleging that a precog said was going to murder somebody— and then you go, okay, well, what about the precogs? Like, wh- how is this situation with the precogs set up? Like, how, uh, what is the facility like? Like, look at any kind of nitpicky little thing about, like, the temple. 
but outside of that, it just kind of comes down to just your normal kind of forensics work, like pinning the specific person to the specific place at the specific time to the specific weapon. Like, was there DNA here? Was there DNA on the weapon? Like, uh, I really wish I recorded this conversation, but, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, I mean, what do you, what do you think of what my relative, uh, has to bring legally, let's say to this movie. (laughs) It's an interesting concept. Um, What's funny, so in movies, a lot of times, I really get wrapped up in, like, the realist, the realisticity of it. Um, the realism? That's the word. <laughs> Not um, the elasticity. <laughs> no, the realisticity. <laughs> it's a shirt. Um. Anyway, I usually get wrapped up in that kind of stuff, but, like, watching the first time they put this to use, I actually couldn't stop, like, making jokes in my head, so... So you couldn't focus on it either. They they were saying so much stuff and there was so much thrown at you that you couldn't check your brain out the door either, right? Yeah, like the okay. Do you want to know the joke? Or I think I told you the joke where the first one where the guy finds his wife who I think it was Aaron Eckhart she was cheating on her husband with. Wait, wait, um, whoa, 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 hold on. Start this joke from the top. What? So the lady that the the first one, the first murder they stopped, the lady that's cheating on her husband, the guy she's cheating on her husband with, I didn't get a good look at him, looks suspiciously like Aaron Eckhart from The Dark Knight who played Harvey Dent. Uh, that I'm I, I, I guarantee you that wasn't Aaron Eckhart, but OK, I <laughs> uh, well, anyway, that's not part of the joke, but. When they stop the murder and they're like, you're under arrest from the pre-crime division of Washington, D.C. for the future murder of what's their names. And then uh, the the one officer is talking to her and she go, they go, ma'am, your husband's being arrested. And I was like, your husband's being arrested because you're a whore <laughs> and you cheated on him. So he's paying the price. Have a good day. Yeah, I... It's that's that's the thing though. It's like I I can now post mortem looking look at this movie and understand that well one it's a movie but at the same time if I want to overanalyze and overthink it we're given way too much information versus what like a normal lawyer would do and but then also going off of that uh, this is also a time where a prosecutor can say hey. Here's some video evidence of these three kids that we keep locked up that have these powers that we're using for the greater good, quote unquote, and present that as the evidence greater also. Good. Like it's so I it is a I don't know if I don't know if I have an issue with it being that they were people like I don't know. I before seeing this movie. So this is my first I, the, the most I'd seen of this movie before is I saw literally the first one that they stopped and then up until Tom Cruise finds out that he's the next uh, thing recognized by the precogs. So like the first maybe 20, 25 minutes of this movie I saw on TV, uh, TNT because they know drama, but um, I didn't really have anything in my mind, but I think my biggest problem with the movie is I really wish it was just a computer program, not weird psychic people. Dude, a computer program, which, by the way, they have this technology where they have to do the tropey, like, the whole body, like, swinging your arms and hands. 
But at the same time, they can't just drag and drop the clip that they're looking at from one computer to another. They have to actually have a floppy disk the size of, like, a tablet and plug that into another well, computer. <laughs> well, they they foresaw Iron Man and, like, that's a cool-ass computer. We gotta have that. Oh, yeah. Iron Man copied this movie 100%. Like... I told you while I was watching but the movie, I wanted to I, give to me. To me, one of the funniest <laughs> scenes in the movie is when he's like, "I'm gonna go in the tank room," and they're like, "We can't go in the tank room. We we don't go in there to uh, prevent uh, accusations of tampering." So, 14 milliseconds later, every single person is in the room with the precogs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, back to the back to the computer screen. I told you I wanted a gif of Tom Cruise when he's going between like the two perceptions when he finds out that the guy is, or the kid in the background is on like a merry-go-round and he's just going <laughs> like <laughs> what they need in that scene is someone needs to clip that as a gif and uh, just have him like swiping left and right on Tinder or Netflix. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's just him doing the hand motion. And then it cuts to like a screen on Tinder and it's like left, right, left, right, left, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dude everything involving the computers was so goofy in this movie it was so funny um uh, but no let's uh i i think it goes without saying we have to talk about uh i don't know if it grossed you out as much as me but we're already so far into this arguably the single grossest thing i've seen for the show if not one of the grossest things i've seen in cinema lately was uh uh, oh, the actor, um, oh god, Peter Stormare, the guy that ended up being, uh, the doctor who replaced his eyes, uh, right when Tom Cruise gets there, he's standing in the doorway, and he goes, Ugh, this damn cold. He shoots the nastiest, grossest snot rocket. I, <laughs> I, ugh. Ugh, I'm cringing thinking about that right now. That's the grossest thing? To me, in this movie, hands down 100%, that was the grossest thing in this movie. I, I know you love the moment where the guy got the got the zap stick to the neck and he just puked his guts out. Like, <laughs> Dude, he looked like John Heater just used his porta potty No, the, dude, the grossest... The grossest scene is the one where uh, after he gets his eyes cut out and replaced, the... They tell him to go eat milk in the fridge, but apparently these people never clean out their fridge. And so they've got, like, milk that's got green mold growing on the outside of it and, like, maggot-ridden sandwiches in there. Dude, everything and about that was... And, of course, that was... that's the one he grabs to eat. And then he's drinking some disgusting liquid out of, like, a medical contamination container. Dude, that whole scene, I was just rolling my eyes at, like, how cliched and dumb that was. Like, it couldn't just be a shady guy that he happened to know on the streets because he knows a lot of street people. He's addicted to drugs because he's coping with the death of his son. So, like, he, uh, I mean, that's another cliche in itself, just, like, the guy just riddled with drugs because he can't cope with it any other way. But the fact that, like, it couldn't just be a guy that he happens to know on the streets and he's just weird for the sake of being weird. Like, no, it's gotta be a guy that he put away and he's messing with him at the same time as, like, a weird revenge. But all his revenge is is not messing with his eyes. He does his eyes perfectly okay. But no, he has deliberately a great sandwich and a great jug of milk, but then a terrible sandwich and a rotten thing of milk. And, of course, Tom Cruise grabs the rotten of those. And it's just like, 
come on, movie. Are you serious? Like, you're you're leaning th- well, you're going for this easy of a gag. Like, come on. That to me feels like a Steven Steven Spielberg thing. I think the Steven Spielberg like, thing in this movie is the the ending. But let's. I mean, we'll talk about that in a second. But well. <laughs> I will say another thing in that scene that's good though is the the overhead shot with the spiders. Oh, I laughed really hard at that. Like, I he does. I'll give him credit. He does add levity to things, but I just ugh, okay. I set this up as I like it, but I kind of do and don't at the same time. Like out of context, I thought that was hilarious. That kind of voyeuristic, just like, what's happening in this room? What's happening in that room? What's happening in that room? But at the same time... The guy the guy that's passed out while taking a dump? Big mood, dude. I feel you. That's the second person to take a dump in this movie after the eye doctor's assistant. Uh, <laughs> who, has the best, who has the best character introduction that we've seen on the show also. She, she's... It's just like, all right, it's time for the operation. And then you immediately hear, flush... You see her silhouette pulling up her skirt, and then she walks out, and she's got this gigantic mole, and she's like, "Oh, come over here, sweetheart!" Like, <laughs> dude, her- maybe if she sold, maybe if she sold ad space by the square inch of her mole, they could afford a better apartment. Yeah. Uh, okay. So anyway, the the scene that we were talking that about that happened, like- and I really expected them to cut back, and they switched with Austin Powers, and he's like, mole. Oh, Randy, baby. <laughs> that mole makes you Randy. Then uh, you got problems. <laughs> anyway, the, it's it's out of context. I thought it was hilarious that, like, it went through all those cliches. But, like, it's, it's again, what I was talking about before. This movie's tone wants to be taken really serious. So these moments of levity just don't work. Like... Steven Spielberg adds all these moments into the movie that, like, keeps it from being as truly dark and truly morally ambiguous and, like, as fascinating as a movie about this moral conundrum of, like, what is the line between being a criminal and not being a criminal that it just is distracting. The moral conundrum is what makes the movie interesting, too. Like, I had a really big problem with uh, Steven Spielberg obviously just wanting to play with his computers because there are several shots of totally unnecessary CGI in this movie. It holds like up better than where it holds up. Okay. The, it, the CGI in this the, movie the scene, is dated, but it holds up. Okay. The scene where he goes to the lady that invented uh pre-crime. Oh, that's the best moment in this movie. She, it, and she's, well, let me ruin it. She has those weird tentacle flower things like sucking on her face weirdly. Why the hell is that in the movie? That, that First of all, that action doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why she's doing that. But then you follow it up with, that CGI is terrible. It's the only CGI. The CGI, the CGI in the movie is honestly very distracting for me. There are several scenes where like the shadowing and the texturing just don't add up. And I'm like, dude, Tom Cruise is just running in a blank room. The CGI... Like, the scene the scene with... I don't know if they're hover cars. Also, I don't understand how cars work in this world. Because you have these weird hover car things that are on, like, automated tracks. And they're clearly, like, for a specific person. It's not like a bus. And then they fly down, like, this cliff. And he's jumping between them when he's trying to escape. But then, also, later in the movie, he gets his own personal car. 
How does that work? He steals his own personal car. Um, okay. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't care about th- I don't, that. I don't care about. Like, how do cars work in this? Because we just saw the highway system, and it's weird hover cars on rails things. Okay. I, whew, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, first off, the CGI, I think, holds up for the most part outside of my biggest complaint is the uh the car chase sequence i think the car chase sequence looks really bad now uh mm-hmm. the 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 green screening behind him when he's in the the front seat of the car and when he's jumping on that really weird like waterfall of a highway like i thought that looked really bad but yeah that was the most distracting other than the greenhouse scene i okay i didn't think the greenhouse scene was that bad um the sentient life like I could buy that, like, this woman figured out how to nurture and, like, make these uh, precogs. So her making plants that would be alive and understand, like, a master to defend their master, like an intruder, oh, bite them and poison them. Like, that makes sense to me. I'm not, I'm not questioning that. I'm not, I'm not having a problem with that. Why did the, like, there's one shot where she's talking to him and she, like, walks over to this potted plant and it looks like tentacles with suction cups on the end and she just lets it like rub on her face oh right 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 yeah that behavior is not normal why would you do that and then also the cgi of that looks terrible i i didn't have a problem with that cgi like honestly like outside the car chase i thought the cgi in the movie looked fine i mean it's dated it's clearly like outdated versus what we see now like it does well allow me to quote homer simpson wrong no, it's it's not that bad. Like I, I had more issues with some of the CGI in 2012 versus what we just watched in Minority Report. Like I, I think Spielberg visually had a better idea of what to do with the CGI than Roland Emmerich did. Like outside of again that car chase looked terrible. But um, can we talk about the gardener herself? Like the fact that she, her exposition added more to the plot than any other of the exposition in this movie. Like, the whole thing is just her not talking, or or her talking without taking a breath for, like, a solid, like, ten minutes straight and saying, the minority report, the minority report, the minority report, like, seven times. But Mm -hmm. she establishes where she and Max found Saito, like, started the company, how they ended up deferring from each other and splitting apart, and now she just took a payout, and she's a botanist, and he... Uh, is covering up the minority reports and trying to convince Congress that, like, this needs national funding and trying to be, like, a bigger thing. That was the most fascinating part of this movie. Like, when it refocused back onto not just Tom Cruise action movie and was about so, the moral ambiguity really, of really this. Really quick question. Really quick question. Was this scene before or after he kills Colin Farrell? Oh, this is way before. This was, like, 40 minutes into the movie. So I must have not been paying attention during this because the scene where Max von Sydow shoots Colin Farrell actually got me to go, oh my God. Dude, that was like when there was like 30 minutes left in the movie. <laughs> okay, then, yeah, I obviously was not paying attention very much in that, se- uh, in that scene, but... Um, How are you not fascinated at all by like yeah. what the botanist was talking about? Like when he broke into her house, like... I don't really remember i'm just saying i apparently was not paying attention in that scene very much because <laughs> when max von Sydow shoots colin farrell it actually got me to go oh my god 
and you're still giving audibly and you're still giving this movie a full pan and i'm only going a half pan <laughs> no no i still might give it a half pan actually you know what yeah that's the nail in the coffin uh half pan yeah i okay we're at least on the same page on that i just dude i just it's hard for me to pick a scene this movie that i thought was actually like genuinely great like, I do love the ending. If we want to just jump right to the ending, I do think the ending of this movie is really good. Like, I love the big twist that Colin Farrell was not the bad guy. Max kills him. And then... Ooh, actually, really quick, let's talk about how um I called the ending and then was wildly wrong. Oh, dude, no, please read your theory because it was totally not how this movie ended. <laughs> So, all right, let me find it. Listeners, by the way, he texted me this probably, uh, what was the scene when you actually texted me this? Oh, God, I don't remember what the scene was. I remember it was very early in the movie. It was, like, right after they mentioned that you can swap eyes. The, the, okay, I found it, I found it, I found it. I'm calling the end. I bet Tom Cruise pays to have his eyes swapped out. Then Colin Farrell buys Tom Cruise's eyes and has them put into his own head. Then he commits the murder, but because he has Tom Cruise's eyes, all of the eye scanner, uh, all of the eye scanners confuse uh, Colin Farrell for Tom Cruise, thus blaming him. You got about a, th- you got like one fifth of that right. <laughs> And then two minutes later, I texted Dan, does anyone shut up in this movie and not spew exposition? Yeah. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I found it. This was the one. I said, dude, I literally bounced between sprinkles for this movie and a cookie. This was the movie that had me just going back and forth of, I don't know what to rate it. The fact that you were even considering this movie with uh, sprinkles is astounding to me because I had no intention... Well, Throughout the, the reason, movie, the I had no I, intention of giving this movie sprinkles at all. Like, it just is so... The reason the reason I was cons- uh, I said that is because uh, Steven Spielberg is a great director. He's one of the best of all time. He's, he's a true visionary. The problem is I don't like half of his directing style where everything is needle- needlessly optimistic and happy. Sometimes you can just let it be dark and depressing and it's okay. Well, he... Yeah, I mean, he's done that before, like... Have you seen Munich? No. Okay. Just really, really quick sidebar. I've seen Munich Saving a... Private Ryan. That's probably the darkest one of his movies I've seen. You haven't seen Schindler's List? No. Oh, God. That movie's... I took a date to it and I made out with them throughout the entire thing. Oh, God. That movie's... That movie's hard to watch. Like, same with Private Ryan, but... I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a Seinfeld reference. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway munich uh just a quick sidebar munich is about um (laughs) munich is about uh uh black uh black sunday or black september whatever that group was that uh took over the munich olympics and killed uh numerous participants in the olympics uh specifically uh uh israeli athletes uh they took over the hotel that they were at and they and then they tried to get away like on a like they were going to the airport and then they tried to ambush them to get the hostages and then everybody died yeah that's how the movie starts the rest of the two and a half hour movie (laughs) is the aftermath of this special ops team from israel that goes after each of the participants of the group and tries to kill them off one by one 
That is a dark oh, movie, dude. Oh, I saw, I didn't see that, but I saw a Robot Chicken spoof of it. Dude, you want to watch a dark movie by Steven Spielberg, that movie is as about as bleak as you get. Like, it was, <laughs> it was violent. It was so morose and just, I own it and I love it, but I've had no intention to watch it again since I bought it. Like, that movie was so hard to sit through. Unlike Minority Report, where I spent half the movie laughing. Because <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise was running. Yeah, and the and his doctor his doctor could pump him uh his doctor pumped him so full of antibodies that he could put a he could put a dead cat in his chest cavity and he wouldn't get sick. <laughs> <laughs> um what about the the part where uh at the well, you were talking about the very end. What is the part of the very end that you found ambiguous? Run! No. <laughs> what? Oh, I shouted "run" really loud. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no. Um, the the ending. Uh, there was well, I mean to to recap it for the listeners. Uh, Tom Cruise does get arrested and. Uh, it's presumed that he does get put into one of those tanks as, uh, not victim, but, uh, convict 1109 or eight, whichever number, and that he's just locked in with Tim Blake Nelson for the rest of his life. So it turns out that he escaped and he finds out that Max found Sidow. Oh, now I get what part's ambiguous, because they said that in the tubes, you basically live out your ultimate fantasies, right? Yes, exactly. I didn't think of that. Oh, okay. Now I get the ambiguous part. Exactly. It's basically, did the top keep spinning or fall over? Exactly. Did he actually... Gotcha. Did he actually break out of the tube, figure out Max von Sydow, killed that woman initially in the, uh, the, the first vision that the precog had... And then he uh, basically set up all this to establish how good the precogs were, even though he was himself a part of a minority report. Or was this all Tom Cruise's uh, dream that he busted Max von Sydow, he got back with his wife, he knocked her up, and then the precogs all lived in this perfect little cottage in the middle of nowhere and happily ever after? Like... I took it as that. I, I took it as I took it very I, straightforward as that was the ending. Like Tom actually did it and this is how it actually all ended. That's that's how I took it and the reason I say that after just having the realization of that's it was an ambiguous ending is nothing else in the movie is set up with that kind of supernatural slash didn't happen type thing. So Yeah. I take it as a very straightforward ending to a very straightforward movie. I, I I agree. Steven really never has de- delved into anything kind of like mind manipulated or anything like a, a Chris Nolan or, um... you know, I would have caught on to the ambiguity of it if they would have had the uh, the standard Christopher Nolan, Hans Zimmer, bomb, 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 bomb type stuff. Well, versus what the this John Williams, uh, John Williams, obviously a longtime collaborator with Steven Spielberg, versus his full orchestrated, uh, like very loud, very active, like Nor- dude, what's the score? Kind of. I just- will look up stuff to confirm that a composer is who I think it is. Like all will be like that sounds like Hans Zimmer. That sounds like John Williams. I listened to like one thing in this movie and i was like this is definitely john williams i don't even need to look it up oh dude it was 100 percent john williams right off the bat like his 
his scores are so obvious because they're so there's there's like this liveliness to it that like really i I, it's hard to describe the it's it's such a full orchestra and like it's so lively and it's so it's never that like he never makes that dour of a score like outside of i think the most dour score he's ever made is probably star wars episode three but even still it's orchestral it's got the opera singers like he he never focuses in on this like one instrument like joker like joker's score is like really about the cello like john is about like let's fill this room with like 700 instruments and go crazy like (laughs) (laughs) yeah i um i never thought about is it ambiguous but i that makes total sense now that uh, like if someone told me there's no way this movie actually i think it's the other I think if someone would have said no, or someone says to me, I think it's the ambiguous ending where it's like, no, actually, this is his ultimate fantasy. You know what? Everything ends so perfectly for him. Yeah, I can see that. I really can see someone saying that. But the movie is so straightforward in the way that I interpret it. I I, I really think it is. No, for real, this actually happened. Yeah, it's I agree with that. Um, I mean, there is evidence to the to the contrary that like we never hear Tom Cruise narrate up to that point until the last like five minutes of the movie. But you could also just say like, that's him self monologuing, like to tie everything up, just adding to that, uh, that aspect of the ending, just like, Oh, well, this is me telling you how everything ended up perfectly. Okay. For me, like, but I, I kind of want to believe that that was the ending because I like that idea better that like, as we pull back from the shot of the cabin, it fades to black or it crossfades to a shot of Tom Cruise still in the tube. And we slowly pull back away from that. And the movie ends with just the, the huge chasm of just hundreds and thousands of people. <laughs> like I wish the movie honestly ended like that. Like I wish this movie actually like for how much it made me laugh and roll my eyes. And like, it would want me to take it serious. And then, Oh, just kidding. I want you to laugh now. Like, I wish it kind of took that hard left turn and just like, oh, no, just kidding. This movie's actually pretty messed up. Like, yeah, I just uh, I'm, would it's you, such a mixed bag for cast, me. Who would you cast Nick Cage to be? Oh, it's it's got to be the eye doctor. It's got to be the eye doctor. No one else stood out to me as obviously as the eye doctor is who Nick Cage was going to be in this movie. Max von Sydow. no. You would want you you would want you would want him to play Max von Sydow. I want him to do a Max von Sydow impression. <laughs> That's just him with a really deep British voice. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying I want him to do a Max von Sydow impression. No, dude, it's got to be the eye doctor. Like, how could you not want Nick Cage to be the 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 doctor going? You you put me away. We have a history. Don't scratch your eyes. Like. Because <laughs> Max von Sydow, I want him to do a Max von Sydow impression. Like, I want Nicolas Cage to do that, like, really refined accent and, and deep voice and just, like, like high society type person, but it's Nicolas Cage. <laughs> that awesome. I mean, that does sound entertaining, but I just... I stand by my statement. I want him to play the eye doctor. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Do you remember the last movie we saw Max von Sydow in? 
It was Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Shutter Island? No, uh, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. And Shutter Island. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, yep, you're right. My yeah, bad. But I... he was one of the doctors in Shutter Island that we watched. Yeah, nope, my bad. You're right. I <laughs> completely brain farted. Like two weeks ago, dude. I know. <laughs> I was, I had, when when he was on screen, I just had Star Wars in my head. I didn't have Shutter Island in my head. <laughs> oh, man. He's, he's now looking at you super disappointed. Well, yeah, in the afterlife, because he just died a couple months ago <laughs> rest in peace max oh, we really no, miss you bad. uh do you have anything else that you want to yeah, i'm, I'm kind of running out of stuff to talk about with it like it's i understand i understand why this movie was i i understand why this movie was billed to be so great and epic while at the same time being forgotten the only other thing i have about this movie is that I I don't understand why the 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 production credits all had water around them to no real thematic payoff. Like it didn't make sense for me that like the Fox logo other than someone was drowned <laughs> and the precogs are in water and Tom Cruise gets found by the spiders in water like I that was something that was really bizarre to me. No, Tom. No, no, no. The precogs aren't in water. They're in milk. They said they were in milk. Okay, but they're like semi, like not drowning, but like they're they're floating in a liquid. Like it felt like the movie. I the first text I sent you was, oh, I guess water's going to be important in this movie, and then water kind of ended up not being a part of anything other than <laughs> he happened to lose his kid when he was at a pool. Like I. That that was really bizarre to me. Like that, there was no payoff to the water whatsoever. But it set it up to just be like, oh, water's going to be a big thing. Well, I and love, then I love too that they're like trying to say like, does Tom Cruise have free will about killing that guy? Or since he knows that they're going to say he's going to do it, can he hold off on it? I love that he's like, no, I'm straight. I love that he's like, no, I'm going to straight up murder the guy. Yeah, and at least like the the eyes, like the the drug dealer with no eyes. At least that kind of had a payoff where. Like, the third eye sees all, or, like, the blind, whatever he said. And, like, it kind of ties into, like, looking into the future. Like, at least that kind of has a payoff to it. But, like, it was just really weird to me that, like, the movie established that water was going to be a big thing. But then it kind of just didn't. I <laughs> I mean, outside of that, uh, I got nothing else to add to this movie other than just... Uh, yeah. Just like, another. I, I don't really have all that much else to say on it. Yeah, other than just another, another shout out to Ron. <laughs> was that not the loudest part of the movie for you? <laughs> what was what was more obnoxious? Uh, Devil inside the lady, like just going Aah! in that one interview, or the run in this one? Oh, dude, it was the run in this movie, hands down. Like. That was really loud and kind of out of nowhere, but, like, it kind of made sense. Like, I kind of expected that kind of tropey, just, like, the demon deciding to just scream for no reason. Samantha Morton screaming in this movie was so... It was set up so perfectly that it was just, like, Tom Cruise is leaning into her, and she's like, They're coming. You need to go. What? Run! Like, oh my god, like... That was so loud on my TV. I was like, I jumped in my bed. I was just like, oh my god. 
Uh, but yeah, I got <laughs> I got nothing else to add to this movie now. No. All right. Well, with that, we are going to take a very brief break, and we will be back to talk about the 1990 follow-up to the film we just talked about two weeks ago, Predator 2. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. We have once again gotten out of the time machine, this time in sunny Los Angeles, 1990, even though the movie Where takes place. Where are my pants? In, <laughs> even though the movie takes place in 97, uh, but we have watched Predator 2. Uh, it is not uh, part of a series. We are not going beyond Predator 2, at least as of right now. So don't think this is like. <laughs> Just wait till next week. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yes, we are watching the direct sequel to Predator, uh, not starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. This one stars Danny Glover and Gary Busey, Maria Alonzo, I'm not going to try to pronounce her middle name, uh, and Bill Paxton. The film was directed by Stephen Hopkins, who and is- And Gary Busey, you forgot Gary Busey. Oh, I thought I said Gary Busey, my bad. Um- <laughs> well, I may have not been listening then, uh, probably. <laughs> We do have a little lag, but not that bad. Not that bad. Uh, <laughs> but no, the the film was directed, like I said, by Stephen Hopkins. He is probably most known for his television work because that's where a majority of his resume guided me through. Uh, he, in terms of filmmaking, directed uh, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, 5, I think it was, The Dream Child, whichever one that one was, uh, numerous episodes of 24, uh, the television adaptation of Traffic, and he won an Emmy for directing uh, a pretty great biopic about Peter Sellers called The Life of De- Life and Death of Peter Sellers. Uh, that's on HBO. I personally highly recommend it. But that is not this movie. We are talking Predator 2. Nick, this was your pick, so I'll hand the reins to you now that I got the, the basics out of the way. Uh, what was it like watching this movie uh, for what, your, first, your first time, right? You said uh, close to first time. Um, I saw chunks of this when I was younger, TNT, they know drama. Um, but I never sat down and fully watched the movie. And the only time I ever saw parts of it was a TV edit. That only thing I really knew about this movie before watching this was I had seen the ending in the spaceship, uh, with all the other predators and the xenomorph head. But, um, this was really weird. Uh, did you get a vibe of like RoboCop from this at the beginning? Um, kind of not. I mean, not, not now that you say that I'm thinking about it, but uh, no, not while I was watching it that I get a RoboCop vibe. Well, one of the, one of the first notes I sent you was, holy crap, this doesn't, it's five minutes in and this doesn't even feel like the same movie. Like it felt very, uh, satirical of the time that it was trying to represent. Um, also demolition, like demolition, man, it kind of felt like that where it's in the future, but they're not playing it. They're playing it serious, but there's like really weird jabs at the way they think the world is and would evolve. It's, it's, Um, it, there's definitely a lot of movies that this borrows from where it just leans into that. Oh, the future is just going to be crime ridden. Like that's literally the premise of escape from LA and escape from New York. Like, and all of death wish. Yeah, like that's that was part of the tropiness of it that kind of bothered me in the first hour of the movie before Predator showed up. Like, 
on top of all the cop- Man, the stuff that the stuff they do with Predator at the beginning too, like when uh they first show him kind of lurking around and they have some like weird like gremlins breathing effect on him. Like it sounds cartoonish because he's like Like, dude, what, are you sweaty and masturbating? What are you doing? It's really weird. I, I did notice the sound was a little different uh, this time around versus um, the first one. Like, I don't know if they, I don't know what they did, but whatever they, they did, did to try and enhance it. They they did some cool stuff with it, though. Like, there's, a, there's more shots where you're in the uh, Predator's point of view and you can see bullets uh, or sh- you can see shell casings leaving guns that are firing, and if it's a machine gun, they're, like, just flying out crazy fast. That looks really neat. Like, that's a pretty cool thing to see. Uh, but I could have done without the masturbatory breathing. I, I'll i agree with that. Um, it's I, I, I mean, it didn't really bother me that much because it's just like, oh, it's just he sounds even weirder now this time. Like, I... I I had so many other different things that bothered me that clearly weren't things that you were bothered by. I mean, like, what what else did you uh, think of the movie? Like, your kind of hot take that we always do. There is a point where it shifts and it starts to feel like Predator. Like, it starts to feel like a Predator movie. Um, it's interesting that you say the guy did episodes of 24 because whenever I think of 24, I didn't watch it a lot. I had an uncle... Um, that watched it when I was younger and I remember like not watching it, but like seeing it in the background. And I remember how serious that show was. And then the fact that this show or this movie was serious, but like kind of tongue in cheek at the same time was interesting to find out that he did that. Um, it's, it's a stacked movie. Like Gary Busey, Bill Paxton, Danny Glover. That's crazy. You got them all in the same movie at this time frame where like they're all in their uh like Danny Glover's in a sweet spot. Gary Busey's like at the very end of like his best part of his career. Yeah, Bill this was Paxton. two this was this was 2 years before he did Under Siege with um oh, uh Steven Seagal. Yeah, Bill Paxton's like what? 5 years away from Twister. Um, yeah, and I think he's closer to Aliens than that, but yeah. Game over, man! Game over! That actually... There's way too many ostriches! (laughs) Just to to make note, because it should be worth noted that we've now watched Bill Paxton die in uh, two of the three (laughs) ways of this trifecta that he managed to pull off, where he gets killed by the Terminator, the Predator, and Alien. No, he doesn't get killed by the Terminator. Yeah, in the in the very beginning of the first one. No, he sees the Terminator, but the Terminator doesn't actually kill him. What? He didn't die in the Terminator? From what I understand, no. We watched it for the show. I could have swore he... I, didn't he kill all those guys to steal their clothes? That, dude, it's literally one of the trivia facts is he doesn't... Die, he dies at the hand of an alien and he dies at the hand of a predator. He doesn't technically die at the hand of the, of, uh, the Terminator. Oh, I just... What, what do they call that? I just Bernstein Bears that. I thought he did die by te- by Terminator. Yeah, that's oh, your facts. <laughs> well, that's funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he but did get killed I, by Alien and Predator. So I I I can't believe that this movie had, you know, these three guys that were like Danny Glover. Danny Glover and Bill Paxton are probably the biggest stars from this. But like 
you got Danny at the time. You got Danny Glover and Gary Busey. Like when I saw Gary Busey was in this, I lost my mind. I was like, Gary Busey. And apparently this was the first movie he did after the motorcycle wreck that turned him into the most insane human being on the planet. Yeah, that's uh, there's I'm pretty sure when whenever he does pass many, many, many years from now, I'm not saying otherwise. Uh, we'll see that he has some sort of CTE, I bet. <laughs> that and that his teeth were uh, that size. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sir, um, we got a replica of your teeth made. How about we make them about half an inch longer? What, sir? What? Yeah, I want to have a bigger smile than I had before. Uh, okay. <sighs> like, every time I see him smiling, I just think of the sound. <sighs> yeah, he's, oh my gosh, Gary Busey right now. It was kind of interesting to see a somewhat more tamed version. Like, he kind of played that. That's, I was going to say, that's the thing is, I've not seen him in a ton of stuff. I have seen him in, like, Rookie of the Year, this, uh, that part of that Steven Seagal movie, and I think a handful of other things from, like, the 80s and 90s. He was a pretty decent actor. He wasn't great, but he was he was good. He would uh, he played a very well put together and competent person in pretty much everything he was in. Yeah, he kind of played kind of a grump in almost everything too. But you know, he was very good at what he did. And then I've seen him and stuff since he kind of went insane, and it's like not even watching the same human being. Yeah, I, I'm not... And I, and I don't want it to seem like I'm making fun of someone that clearly has a head injury. I'm not trying to do that, but it's it's just very... It's a very starkly different acting ability since the accident. I I can't think... I should pull it up. I don't know what the last thing that I saw Gary Busey in was. Um, but no, I mean, I'm not the... Uh, oh my god, 178 credits. Ooh, this guy has has not stopped working. Holy crap. I think he does a lot of voice work for cartoons now. Uh, he was in Sharknado 4. Uh, <laughs> I think he wrote Sharknado 4. Uh, Confessions of a Womanizer, that sounds promising. Uh, where he plays Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, was this autobiographical? It came out in 20. 20- 14 i definitely want to look into that now like <laughs> oh my god him now as a womanizer he's like he's like i love you my love for you is as big as my teeth <laughs> it's and she's like show me your heart and he like opens up his chest and his heart goes ha <laughs> the woman's like oh your heart looks a little enlarged and he's like i know <laughs> it's all the cocaine Oh, here's a funny wasn't picture. He, wasn't him he and, on, like, Celebrity Apprentice or something like that? Everyone hated him because he was nuts. Yeah, he was on uh, Celebrity Apprentice. Like, uh, that's where part of his relationship with our now president has come from. Like, I mean, he was already one of the... Dude, can notable- you imagine him? Can you imagine him heading up, like, the coronavirus task force? Oh, God. How are There's... we going pre- to prevent it? <laughs> how are we going to prevent it? We're going to wear hats made of insulation. I don't... <laughs> No, what? How? <laughs> he's he's part of this weird, not like tribe, but like he's part of this weird group of uh, Hollywood conservatives, that, um, like Vince Vaughn, him, John Voight. Um, oh, oh, I can't remember. John many. Voight. Every every time I think of John Voight trying to rally people, I just think of that scene from Varsity Blues. Where he's like, "Come on now, let's go! Come on now, yeah!" They're like clapping, and no one cares. <laughs> 
<laughs> John Voight's like, I'm going to take a political stand, but I got to make it very unique so people so people think of me. I'm very against having rice in jambalaya, and I think we should ban it. Like, that's a political point. He's like, come on now. We got to rally behind not having rice. Come on now. Like, I would just be the guy that's like, sir, how is your daughter uh, Angelina Jolie? Just to hear him go, I am tired of that question. <laughs> How did you make something that hot when you look like you? How'd you? How did you make somebody that has won multiple humanitarian awards and you're now just the grumpy old man yelling at the sky? You know, you, you know what it is? He's like, well, the night that she was conceived, I looked at her mother and I was like, we should go in the bedroom. And she goes, really? And I'm like, yeah, come on now. Come on, let's go. Come on, go to the bedroom. <laughs> I think we beat that horse into the ground. Um... Yeah, let's back get back to, to the, the movie. Yeah, let's get back to Predator. <laughs> back to the movie. One of the one of the absolute craziest things that is in this movie has nothing to do with the Predator, but it's in the beginning, like shootout. Some like this gang goes in this building with an arsenal that like the U.S. Army would be drooling over, and the first thing this one guy does, the very first thing, is he walks in, he takes his hand, he shoves it into a box. And he pulls it out, and he has a fistful of cocaine, and he snorts all of it. That was hilarious. I laughed really hard at that. And my when I, when that happened, I texted you and and just asked, "How did this guy not have a heart attack and go into a coma immediately? How did his How did his heart not explode with such force that his arms flew off?" Right. How like you could see when he like was having like that charge up like Super Saiyan moment the like ah, and the veins coming down his forehead I'm just like this guy's gonna have a stroke like <laughs> <laughs> like in the middle of the gunfight he's like Mark Wahlberg <laughs> when Predator just cuts his head off it's just gonna be a little bit of powder that comes out of his neck hole instead of blood <laughs> he cut he cuts his no he cuts his head off and you just see like like you know the pulse uh like uh vibrant not vibration the pulse um pattern like the the blood pump pattern where it's yeah. like boom, boom 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 you just see dust coming out of him like that <laughs> it's like bah, 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 bah. yeah that... <laughs> um but yeah i don't even know when i this movie is so bad at identifying several of the gang leaders that no one cares about that I don't even know when that guy dies. He might have overdosed, but in the shot right after he snorts it, he babbles something insane and then walks off screen. I thought that was the gang lead. I thought that was the one that got shot off the roof. Oh, yeah, that was him. Yeah, that was the, that was the one guy that came out of the door covered in blood, tried to shoot everybody, and then he gets on the he- roof and uh, Danny shoots him down. He he felt he fell to his death off the roof, and then when he hit the ground, dust went everywhere, and then people start going insane, and they're like, "That that road isn't even dusty." And they're like, "It was all the cocaine that was in his system." <laughs> it's like that. Like, clean- aren't humans aren't humans mostly water and blood? And they're like, "Yeah, that's what's crazy is there was so much of so much cocaine in him that all the water and blood was dried up." It's that cliche, like, when you see, like, falling into, like, a dumpster and, like, a bunch of, like, dust and, like, stuff flies up. But, like, when he hits the ground, he just goes poof. Yeah. <laughs> also, an, going back to, like, this uh, this movie roster being stacked, I don't know the actor's name. Um, I've seen him in other, th- in other things, but the only thing I, re- like, 
He did Avatar, and then he did, like, some show that was on Fox where he played the exact same guy, but it was like, we made a theme park with dinosaurs, but it's another planet. So he basically just made Avatar, but with dinosaurs. Um, I don't know the guy, but it's the guy from Avatar with the scars on his face. That dude's in this, too, but he doesn't have the scars on his face, and he's, like, 30 or 40 years younger. Wait, are you so- are you talking the same guy that we saw in Minority Report? No. No, no, no. He's not in that. He's in this, and he's Danny Glover's boss. Uh, let me. Uh, I'm trying to find what his. I'm trying to find what his name might have been, but I could have. I never heard. I never heard his name said in the movie. So good luck. Uh, Captain was it? Well, obviously Captain, but uh, if it was Captain, just B- here's what you do. Here's what you do. Go to Avatar. Find the guy that played. Hang on a minute. I'll do it. No, I'm I, I I part of me feels like you're getting him confused with the guy from uh <laughs> from Minority Report because the the general no. that uh pulls the alien two uh machine out and gets in the fight with the Navi at the end like that guy was in Minority Report. He was in this. I definitely didn't. Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang was. Hold on. How far in the list did you have to go to find him? Well, I went. I did what I said. I went to Avatar, and then uh, what year did Predator come out? Ninety two. No, Predator ninety. The movie's two, but the movie came out in ninety. I was just trying to pull up Avatar also, and I pulled. And I typed in Avatar. <laughs> no, I could. I could have swore you're getting these guys conflated with each other. Whoever the other actor is. Hang on a minute. I know this is I know this is terrible for the podcast, but I want to prove you wrong. No, seriously, please. I'm I'm pulling up Stephen Lang too. I, I I'm really really enjoying this. Like I can't wait to either be wrong or be right. <laughs> I don't care how this ends. This is really funny. Oh, even better. Stephen Lang didn't make a movie in 1990. <laughs> Some guy that sounds exactly like him and looks just like him was in it. That is so funny. I I was going to say, there's... No, I was just thinking to myself, there's no way. We, you have to be getting this mixed up with Minority Report. <laughs> As we have established in the history of the show, I'm never wrong. Um, You're like that... But, um, or wait, no, you don't watch Last Week Tonight. I was going to make a... Never mind. I was going to make a joke. Yeah, I, de- I definitely don't watch that. <laughs> There was some guy that they were making fun of, and he ended all of his uh, all of his monologues with, "I'm so and so with uh, One America News, and even when I'm wrong, I'm right. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna send you that later." <laughs> I got to the part where I was watching Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Back, I'm going through my notes. I got back to the text message I sent you about uh, when they say chocolate souffle and Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and I lost my mind. Yeah, you Shaka can... Souffle. <laughs> Was there any chocolate souffle in Predator? Uh, no, but there's a lot of blood in Predator. Um, yeah. By the way, you talked about like this movie was gonna get an N seventeen ra- NC seventeen rating because of all the uh, violence, gore, and and stuff. Yeah, they upped it in this movie. Oh my god. Yeah, I was. I, that was something else I noticed that like. It definitely was a lot gorier. Like, at first I thought, okay, they're, he's just not going to skin people anymore. But then he did start skinning people. But, uh... Yeah. But I just... I, 
it doesn't feel like now this movie would have had would any problem getting an R, but I was trying to see if there was like an unrated cut, and I never found an unrated cut. And that kind of uh, that kind of baffled me well, because that is, was the only also... thing I knew about this movie was that it was like infamous for like I guess now it was its first draft, like whatever the first cut of the film was, got an NC seventeen. Yeah, and I don't. I don't even think. I don't even think that one went to like test audiences. I think they just showed that and they're like, "This is gonna get the highest rating we could possibly give. You have to cut this." Yeah, and NC seventeen was just made in the nineties. Like that was. They, uh, yeah, they said it was going to be the first NC. It was going to receive the first newly created NC seventeen rating. Yeah, so I was. I mean, it is violent. I'm not saying it's not, but I was. Watching it, I was just like, I don't, I, I can't tell if this movie's just. There's, there's several scenes where people get shot and like their whole chest cavity is open and you can see their organs. If the, if it's not lit with like a sparkler, like the one Jamaican yeah. guy was like. <laughs> yeah. And, and as much, as much blood and gores in this movie. Also, Danny Glover sweats that much. He's the sweatiest human being in recorded history in this movie. Dude, I, I like Danny Glover. But I, I, I don't like what he's given to work with in this movie. He is a walking cliche, like the just that grumpy, like, oh, there's too he many shouts for no reason. There's too in much red several tape I, in this movie. Like, the system's not letting me do my job. I got to do this myself. Like, like, come on. What's what's really weird? You don't even get that established that they're preventing him from doing his job. Like the first time they say like, hey, let these government guys handle it. The moment that said, he's like, that's bad. Like just starts freaking out. I'm like, I feel like I missed a scene setting up why he's doing this. Well, that shows up after that scene when the computer which is, holy crap, this is amazing for a computer in the 90s. When the computer, like, sounds like a person. It's not just reading a transcript. It sounds like a very judgy secretary going, well, he did this. He was uh, accused of brutality on 14 arrests, and he just destroyed seven cars. And yeah, this guy just shouldn't have a badge or a gun. I, yeah, I love that. I love when they throw that in there. They're like, he's also responsible for totaling seven different police-issued vehicles. I was like, you're being very passive-aggressive and judgy, computer. Like... <laughs> This is a lot of personality. <laughs> Drop the attitude, robot. Um, but one of the craziest scenes in this movie is the subway scene. Dude. And it, I... star- it starts <laughs> insane. That, subway like, sh- that shot of everybody pointing their guns at the camera was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, every person on this, like, look. As you've gathered from, list- as longtime listeners know, not only are we on quarantine, um... I, uh, like guns. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm <laughs> basically was, what I mean was, is I'm not, good one payoff. Those, <laughs> well, I'm not one of those people that are like absolutely nothing to do with guns. I'm not one of those people. And so when I say this, what I'm getting at is I understand, you know, people have concealed carries. I don't know what concealed carry was like in California, especially back in that time, having never lived there, but the fact that every single person on the subway has a gun is hilarious. Moments like that shown on me to the fact that they did want to shoot this in New York first, but they didn't for budget reasons. Like, the fact that there's a subway when the Predator's, like, on top of the skyscraper, like, whatever that skyscraper is in L.A., but it was supposed to be the Chrysler building. Like, everything about this, like, all the dank alleyways, I was like, okay, this movie clearly wanted to take place in, like, Midtown or Brooklyn. Like, (laughs) yeah. 
And like, and like I said, I'm the kind of person where like in movies, like dude, Predator One, my favorite scene in film history is the scene where they're lumberjacks with guns. I think they're, I think they're hilariously awesome in that movie. And then in this one, it's like every single person's packing. It's like, with why? And then um, the other thing that's ridiculous about that scene is um, Bill Paxton, right? Fires two entire magazines of ammunition into the Predator. Nothing happens at all. He doesn't slow down. He doesn't yell in pain. He doesn't start really bleeding or anything like that. So then he throws a golf ball at him. I'm like, that'll mess him up. Is an arm speed thrown golf ball. Well, the last moment of desperation, and then he finally dies, which made me happy because I t- credit to Bill Paxton. He did a he had a great performance because I hated his character so much. Like, and it's not just Dude, it's not because is, the performance uh, is bad at all. Like he plays was, this douchebag so movie, well. What was the movie we watched? Oh, it was Predator One. It was the guy that kept making the pussy jokes. Oh, oh, that's oh, Bill uh, Paxton J- in this movie. No, 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 no. It was a skinny nerdy guy. Oh, the guy that did direct the the remake of Predator. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, Shane Black. Yeah, he's the Shane Black of this movie. Um, but uh, except it, except his personality was a little bit closer to Jesse Ventura. <laughs> I I actually uh, just remembered uh, another effect. Going back to the gore thing, another effect. The when they cut off the Jamaican guy's head, that looked really real. That that head transition he was. That transition was beautiful. I'll give the movie credit for that. Like when he's just yelling and it perfectly smash cuts to what looks like him still screaming, but it's Predator swinging his head. That was honestly yeah, that really was cool. cool. And then the uh, and then the scene where he's running with Bill Paxton's body and or head and spine, and then he climbs to the top of the building and gets hit by lightning and lives. I didn't understand the point of that like there's so many things okay let me i have to i let have me, to talk about it, this let me put it to you this way it's a scene in the 90s in a bad action movie where there's a skyscraper and godzilla had to rip off something so predator 2 did this where they climb it and there's lightning and there's yelling i know that's a thing like just oh, this shot's so cool! Like I okay. That's the I, alternate logo of this show: is me on top of a building screaming with lightning, and I'm also, just... and also butt naked. <laughs> but you still have the helmet. You still have the dreads, though. <laughs> I wish my hair was that long. <laughs> Actually, no, but... I don't. My hair, my hair is very thick. If my hair got that long, I'd be sweating while I was like in a freezer. I've well, not that long. I've had my hair long before, as you've seen hundreds of times. But uh, but no, I I have to I have to step in and talk about Predator himself. Predator in the last film was a, a creature that crash landed, and it makes sense that like he would just be like unaware of these people. They start shooting at him, so he's like, "All right, well, I got to fight these guys." Like that makes sense. Predator doesn't make it make any damn sense in this movie he just shows up in la and it's just like oh well these people are already fighting each other i can break this up or i mean i don't even know like predator is just like oh cool we're all fighting well, i got knives like it doesn't make sense they, at all what he wants to interesting. do gary Busey has a very interesting exposition like epic act vomit session when you mean monologue uh, no it's it's not it's not a monologue it's vomiting um 
It's passion vomiting. Um, but it's after Danny Glover uh, starts like chasing the predator in his car, and and uh, apparently Gary Busey's thing. In I don't know if it's good or bad, but one of the most blatant exposition dumps I've ever seen in a movie. They susp- they're they're suspicious of Gary Busey through the entire time, and in this scene we find out that yes, he's part of a government agency that is definitely tracking the Predator, and they lay out that uh, they think they've been tracking these things before because it uh, they saw this thing in Central America. They imply that they sent Arnold Schwarzenegger's team in there for basically the same reason, but they didn't tell him why. Uh, they say that it blew up. Uh, it blew. It used a like a nuclear device to like blow self destruct, and that was crazy in Pandemonium. Um, they show, and then this is kind of where the trivia for the movie was in was slightly interesting. Arnold Schwarzenegger was like, "Hell no, I'm not doing this." Or no, give me a second. Say, no, I'm not doing this movie. It sucks. It's a stupid script. I don't want to do it. I want to go pump iron. Um, but he basically no, he said wanted, no he wanted to do Kindergarten his, Cop. That was his, that's why. Yeah, he turned it down for Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> Who is He's your daddy? His, who is your daddy and what does he do? And they're like, my dad is an alien with dreadlocks. And he's like, no, Vietnam flashbacks. And then he just like started like, you know what? No, he that's started not a sweating. Good yeah, sweating. That's what I'm going to go with. The S word I was going to go with. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, uh, he, originally it was going to be like, they found him and the lady and then they go back and they give an, uh, an account of what they had. And then one of the scripts was Arnold was going to be Gary Busey's character. And the other one was that they interviewed him and he escaped from the hospital. And then there was also the one that they went with, which was this. But he got, like he's explaining to Danny Glover. He's like, we're going to capture it so we can study it and all its techniques and its weaponry and its tools. And why he's telling Danny Glover instead of just shooting him in the head like every movie has ever taught us secret government agencies like this would do. I don't know, but, um, Gary Busey, just like it. How long would you say it is? It's like a five minute speech. It's pretty long. Not going to lie. I and mean, it, I'm, and, I'm, and it, and it cuts not... off the third act. Like literally the second act ends with him pulling up and then the people being like, get out of your car. And then the third act starts with Gary Busey, just, passionately vomiting words dude i was so like half tuned into the movie at that part like after he mentioned like we've been tracking this thing since africa i was just like oh okay i don't care anymore like this is just (laughs) since africa there was no africa but i I was just like okay uh, shut up let's just get to the trap not working (laughs) but back back to my point of why i mentioned it was gary Busey mentions that this thing is attracted to high temperatures which that's weird and violence, which I can understand, because then they can hunt in peace and they're not found out if there's just a bunch of bodies showing up everywhere. That's that's so lazy. That's so dumb. What? Here's okay. Here's the thing. Here is the thing. I do like that it cam like the predators camouflage themselves in very violent times in very violent areas. I'm okay with that because it does lend itself to. Maybe they are real and we don't notice because they're they're going in areas where there's just so many dead bodies. It blends in or so many people disappearing. It blends in. The hot part is weird. I don't understand why that one's in there. It, well, that's it, that just one's a, just weird to me. But, well, that that makes sense because 
they, well, they don't need to have their helmets on, but when, when they do helmets, like, they, it's heat vision. Like, every time a helmet comes off, it's not implied well, it's, that they're going blind or anything, which I think is weird. It's heat, it's heat vision, and then uh, ultraviolet, like, he, and this one, like, changes his visors, and he's got an ultraviolet light vision, too. That was That's cool. how he sees the lights that they're using. That, that was, was like cool. him going through all his different things to see was cool. And I liked uh, I liked that when they had the like the particles falling through the air and it was being picked up on his thing. That was neat, too. That like snow effect. Yeah, that the ultraviolet was pretty cool. But I'm just the, the end game. Like we've seen two movies about a predator now. And the only thing that we learned is just a reminder that there are more of them. Can you explain to me what the point of him hunting people is other than I'd like to hunt people and take their skin and spine? Like they they so they establish in I think a different movie like the one the 2007 Predators, I think is what it was called. They established that like it's a rite of passage for them to become men is to do these hunts and also dude how is that any different than like people in Indiana going deer hunting? I it's a different species I, to you. I never did, but if that's, or like the people that go like go to Africa and they hunt, they hunt animals on the safari. Like it's the same thing. It's just intergalactic. That's not okay. Cue if the that, Beastie Boys. Um, well, is that's is that supposed to be canon? Like I I never really read any confirmation that that was actually supposed yes, to be canon. It, yes, very much so. Oh, I thought that I thought that was a one-off for some reason. Like they just had Robert Rodriguez, like they gave him a check for like twenty million and said, "Hey, you want to make a Predator movie? Go make one." Like I didn't think it was, I didn't think that was supposed to be canon. As far as I know, it's canon. Oh, word. Um, also, also, uh, did you did you think? Because I sent you this one note and I never really heard a response from you on this. Did you agree with me that you could replace Gary Busey with Ryan Reynolds if it was redone in modern day and they would be very similar? Yeah, that's, I was thinking about that, and you said, we watched this movie on different days, so um, I didn't revisit that note while I was watching it, but thinking about it now, like, since you brought it back up, that would be a pretty good, that would be pretty good casting. Like, Ryan doesn't really get casted as, like, kind of the shady, like, the antagonist that often, so that'd be kind of a cool stretch for him. Like, he would, he does fit that profile, though, that comb his hair back and, like, the lit he could tone down the charisma just a little bit because we we have seen him like more well, seriously gary, gary Busey does say some kind of sarcastic smarmy stuff throughout the movie too so it would work that way yeah but not in the moment when danny throws him against a wall and is like <laughs> threatening to kill him <laughs> um also uh i get it's the late 90s but what cop gets a gun with a grenade launcher i what 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 were those things on the pistols in the very beginning? Like, were those just lasers? Scopes. Those are laser scopes. Yeah. Okay. I, I wasn't sure what that was supposed to be. Like. Yeah, like, it's it it's a because it, it's a very powerful handgun. So he just got a scope on it. And he's like, I can use it as a rifle if I need to. Did you also did you laugh like I did when he opened the trunk of his car and he had a duffel bag with a gun, perfectly placed dead center like it wasn't just shifting around in a car that just flew onto the crime scene he had like nine guns in that bag it was the the, the one pistol though was perfectly lit and shot just like and he picks it up no too small like but um 
So towards the end of the movie, they say a line that confirms something I mentioned to you in the Predator review. Someone calls the Predator a pussy face. Yes, that was... That's funny. That made me think of... um, Oh, that one artist. Like, um, not Van Gogh. Seal? No, there was an (laughs) artist. No, a painter. Not... God, that was mean. <laughs> Bob Ross? No, there was a painter that would do all these floral pictures, but really he was just tr- being, he was just making like very artistically designed vaginas. Like, <laughs> it made me think that's, of that. That's his, That's on his business card is you think they're flowers, but they're just really fancy vaginas. Uh, painter who, uh, painter. I don't, I don't Google, know. I don't know how to Google, Google this. Google painter I'm gonna who does vagina flowers. I, I, I'm going to look it up off mic because I'm going to waste so much time if I do it right now. But, uh. <laughs> but well, the, I mean, the, the thing is, the movie, you know, kind of ends and probably the most the most famous and talked about thing from this entire movie is when Danny Glover goes in the ship and it's the Predator ship and they and they show him fight the Predator and he gets a bunch of shots off and he does kill the Predator because throughout their fight, he's like, the predator gets his arm cut off, and then a bunch of his a bunch of his armor comes off, and uh, Danny Glover gets his helmet removed. It's not out of respect, like in the first one. Danny Glover just gets it off. Um, the predator says uh, a couple lines that one of the rumors is like maybe they were watching the documentation of what happened in Latin America is like the most popular belief because that guy is super dead. That predator, because um, he oh. he says mf'er <laughs> and he's like s word happens. Um, oh, dude, no! But the best, the best line that he says throughout both of these movies is when he kills Bill Paxton and goes, "You want some candy?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was but, dying uh, laughing at that. That was so great. <laughs> but then, uh, but the most talked about part is after he kills it, like seven more predators show up or uh, or decloak themselves. Yeah, and that was a cool that was a cool twist. They they have like there's like an air like one of the one of the like the main one, he's got like a patch on his arm from like the second airborne or something like that and it was had a tie to like the Korean War. He tosses him a flintlock pistol and it says like 1715 and also so it shows that they've been coming to earth for hundreds of years. Um and then also there's a xenomorph head in the or skull in the background. Yeah, I love that. That was so that was so cool. That was a nice which little set, dig at it. Which set up for 15 years, uh, Alien versus Predator, and then Alien versus Predator. Oh my God, it's so dark you can't see anything. Yeah. Oh. Oh, dude. We should not immediately, but I next own, week. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not immediately, but I own both a I both I own both AVP movies, and I would love to give them a reappraisal because I on, you own them on purpose. Yeah, dude. Like I I remember when I bought them in Florida. I watched the first one, and I'm like, oh, this is so sanitized for PG-13. It kind of is distracting. But then the second one, like you just said, that movie is shot in edited so poorly I, so the first time i saw it i it was bef- it was when i had my old tube tv and i remember not understanding that you could adjust brightness on tvs i was that young and i, I we rented it from blockbuster and i was like i, I can't see anything if the lights in my room are on yeah of the glare but like i turned off the lights and i was like i mean i can see something um but um 
the predators let him live and they leave and then they and then they leave LA but the big the big question that is posed from this movie is how the hell did that ship get in LA without being noticed oh it's the fa- it's uh the phantom vehicle trope like when some character is about to get hit by a bus or uh, a helicopter shows up out of nowhere. That's all that is. It's just the phantom vehicle. Like, well, the one thing I saw was maybe they used cloaking technology and they had something that like silenced the ship. So it flew into the tunnel or maybe it was there and the tunnel got built around it or whatever. But who cares? This movie was, eh, it's all right. Yeah. This movie's Sad dumb. Fan. This movie's dumb. It's, I, it is not nearly as good as the first. And it very much feels like a sequel. It, it doesn't even come close to capturing what the first movie was. It tries playing off several things that the first movie does, but there are interesting things in it, but not a lot. Else, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I really don't even know. Like, can you think of someone you'd recommend this to? Outside of you? Not really. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't. I don't, this is a movie that I don't want to really recommend anybody watching unless they just somehow had skipped this one but seen all the other predator movies like only really the only person i would like go out of my way to recommend it is if they're like me and they were gifted that box set that had predator one and predator two on blu-ray and they just have never watched predator two pop it in but other than that first one's way better watch it arnold arnold could not sanction this movie's buffoonery and yeah, I mean it's an okay time, but there's better stuff to watch. I can I can surmise my hot take real quick. The characters are so laughably thinly written. The stereotypes are abound and obnoxious in this movie. So I didn't give a crap about any of the characters. Like I didn't find any particular performance that interesting. Um the action's really good though. The the action does hold up for the most part, so I mean credit to that like uh steven knows how to direct action that's what's weird is it it feels like it feels like they wrote really good action scenes and they centered it around the predator and they went put a story in there the laziest version of a cop versus the laziest version of a cop versus gang story like it was if anything it felt like that was kind of patched around like you're saying like patched around the violence like it's just you don't care about any of these characters this is pure adrenaline junkie uh uh, material for a film. It's, I, I am going to give it just a single brownie, like I said, because the action does hold up. Like, it is really creative, like, especially in the, uh, in the, the meat, uh, freezer with the infrared. Like, that was really cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. But, I outs- like, we packed it with nuclear or radioactive dust, and I was like, are you going to sell that meat or just ignore it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, did you guys think this through? Like, <laughs> I we got uh, the predator. You killed eight thousand people. We got the predator. Yeah, uh, dude, that's movie logic. Like, same with Man of Steel. Like, oh, I got um, we killed Michael Shannon, but you literally destroyed three fourths of Metropolis. Yeah, but we got Michael Shannon. <laughs> Who would you cast Nick Cage to be in this movie? Oh man, uh, that was really hard for me to think of this time. Like Gary Busey. I guess that'd be the best. I don't really have a good answer for this for this segment, honestly. Like, I guess Gary Busey would be the best one. Like, if he wasn't just, if he wasn't just very racially miscasted as one of the gang members, like it would have been funny to see him like take the pile of cocaine. <laughs> He's the guy his that face. gets his head cut off. Yeah. 
the the, <sighs> the voodoo magic man. Like seeing him do that would have been really and then, funny. And then they and then they CGI on his face from a uh, face off when he's uh, touching that girl's butt. The most <sighs> the most Nick Cage Nick Cage face ever is that moment. But yeah, yeah. I. I didn't. There was this one was particularly hard for me. I guess I'll agree with you with Gary Busey, but I also, like I said, one of the gang members would have been pretty funny. Like, <laughs> uh, but I mean, I'm yeah, I'm out of stuff on this one. Yeah, I got nothing else to say about Predator Two. Single Brownie, you're half pan, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's okay if you just want to follow up with if you have to, if you're a completist and want to watch all the Predator films. I'm not. I'm not angry. I watched it. Like, it was it was okay. But I would really recommend going out of your way to see it. And I, I don't really plan on seeing it again anytime soon. I have no intention on watching, well, frankly, any of the Predator films uh, anytime soon. <laughs> so, yeah, with that, we are going to jump back into the time machine and go to our year of our Lord 2020 to, get, to fill you in on what we will be watching next week for week five, is it now, of quarantine? Yeah, we're going into week five. We just finished week four. Yep. Week five, people. Uh, It's not going away anytime soon, but neither are we. So we'll let you know what we got going on next week. All right, everybody. That is it for another episode of Brownie Points Under Quarantine. As always, thank you so much to Isla Marfin of Fugay for the bumper music in between each segment. We really appreciate it. Uh, next week, we are doing two Time Machine films once again. Uh, I've decided that... Fugay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I decided to uh, put off looking for a newish film again uh, because there's a film on our list that I have been putting off for a long time and I've just decided, you know what? We haven't had an a- animated film in a while. We haven't had a movie older than 2000 in a while until this week. So I am picking the Disney animated film that actually almost cost the studio uh, its existence. I already read that in the trivia this morning. We're watching <laughs> we're watching The Black Cauldron. It is on Disney. Right, we're going to say Little Mermaid. <laughs> it's on Disney Plus. Uh, I've been dying to rewatch this movie because I remember watching it a lot on video when I was younger, um, and it's now streaming for all of us. And yeah, I let's take a look at it. Let's see why nobody ever talks about Princess Alonwi anymore. <laughs> I think that name is a good enough reason. Yeah. Um, and then we're uh, we're also gonna head back to 2012 for my pick. We're gonna see Jonah Hill, Channing Tatum, Rob Riggle, Johnny Depp, Ice Cube. I can't think of anyone else with big names, but we're going to go see 21 Jump Street. Yay! It's from Chris Lord and Phil Miller, the guys that uh, also gave us the Lego movie. Oh, I'm excited. And Kathleen Kennedy said no to them doing Solo. Yeah. these. Oh, my God. These guys are great writers. I haven't watched 21 Jump Street since I saw it in theaters, I think. Oh, dude. I haven't watched it in, like, three years. It's It's been a couple years since I've seen it. But I love this movie. Yeah, I remember dying laughing watching this. And, like, when I saw that they were doing the Lego movie, too, I I got so excited. And they they also... (laughs) Did you... Dan was like, they're going to make a Lego say the F word. 
<laughs> Did you watch um, the show they created with Will Arnett, uh, Last Man on Earth? A couple episodes. I didn't watch it religiously, but I remember thinking the show was the episodes I saw were pretty funny and entertaining. But I never, I didn't like religiously watch it. They weren't. I mean, they were more a more hands on in like the first season. Like that, you could tell they definitely were less hands on as the show kept going, and then Fox abruptly and wrongly canceled it because it was a genius comedy. But yeah, that I've, I've. Well, it's Fox. It's what they do. They're like, what's good? Get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> Except the Simpsons and Family Guy. Simpsons uh, been running running on empty for a couple years. Renew it for five more. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, then they, and then they and then they pull a uh, a drug dealer from Predator Two and just like rip a, a fistful of cocaine. And then don't pay the actors what they're actually worth. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, I, the main thing I'm trying to say is I'm huge fans of Phil Lord and Chris Miller. So it's it's gonna be really exciting to watch this movie. Uh, this. Uh, these are both streaming, uh, like I said, Black Cauldron's on Disney+. Plus. Uh, if you're a Star subscriber, uh, you can watch 21 Jump Street that way. Otherwise, you kind of just have to rent it. Sorry, guys. But that is what we got coming at you next week. Nick, let the people know where they can reach out to us. The internet. <laughs> hey, Timmy, where'd <laughs> just you get... Lo- just, just pull up your internet browser and be like, all right, brownie points. No. Timmy, where'd you get uh, that Gmail- from? The internet? <laughs> <laughs> uh gmail brownie points guide to cinema at gmail.com instagram brownie underscore points underscore guide twitter at brownie underscore cinema and facebook brownie points guide to cinema the show logo is a bowl of popcorn with a brownie in it that is the profile picture for everything and send us uh brownie bites ideas whether you want it to be a list we do a movie we make sure we go out of our way to review op-ed topics which we haven't had to, uh, to talk very much about lately but we'll probably have to because i'm starting to run out of list ideas i got next week's but uh yeah we're kind of running dry on that because there's nothing to talk about because society stopped um <laughs> but yeah i think i'm forgetting something else but I, whatever i didn't do it like i normally do this week that's all it's all good <laughs> uh but yeah oh uh, Movies you want to make sure that we go out of our way to review. Time machines you want to make sure we do. And uh, uh, trailers that you want us to make sure we review. Cool, 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 Boom. cool. Yeah, that was awkward. <laughs> That's all good. Uh, but yeah, like uh, Nick was saying, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, your online presence has been really great as of late since there's nothing else to do, frankly. Um, but yeah, we uh, we are always going to be Shout on- out. Shout out to um to Luke Carr, by the way. Um, he mentioned us in the Fandango thing about Nicolas Cage. Uh, I couldn't see what your comment was because it, for some reason it wouldn't load up to what you said. But thanks for that, dude. You're awesome. Yeah. yeah again, awkward way to end it, but <laughs> no, that was that was really nice of Luke. Uh, thanks, man. Uh, but yeah, the uh, but yeah, we are always going to be go here trees. For you. <laughs> we're always going to be here for you uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Anchor.com. Uh, longtime listeners are very recent first-time listeners. We appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day to listen to us and try to let us cheer you up a little bit during this not particularly bright time in our country. So um, just continue staying safe out there. Uh, only leave if you have to. Wear masks, wear gloves, do... Do what you got to do to Carry stay safe. Carry flamethrowers around? No, don't do that. <laughs> do what <laughs> do you got to do. To, <laughs> do what you got to do to stay safe, guys. Uh, don't do anything unnecessary or stupid. Uh, but yeah, 
outside of watching a terrible movie with us uh outside of that uh <laughs> just be safe guys uh we're doing our part and we can't wait to bring y'all another episode next week where we will be talking about disney's the black cauldron and 21 jump street we'll see you then is that the purge siren As you've gathered from list, as longtime listeners know, not only are we on quarantine, um, I uh, like guns. Like I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm basically was, what I mean was, is that I'm was not good one payoff. Of those, well, 